Hello, and welcome to I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things. We are the opening act for Guns N' Roses, and today we're going to be talking about a movie. Uh, this week I'm doing the intro because Steven is out, he's busy, so we are... We've got Calvin here to talk about Thor, Love and Thunder. What's up, Calvin? So I'm I'm in I'm Thinking of Spoiling Things means you, technically, because you've been on all the episodes. I don't think that, uh, that title... Does it include Steven, would you say? Yeah, well, I'm, exactly. Is Steven? Um, yeah. Because he's now missed one episode, I take full ownership of the podcast. So. <laughs> you take full ownership of the I am, yeah, I believe. It's fully, uh, it's fully uh, mine now. Works. Steven's just a long-term guest. <laughs> Very long-term <laughs> guest. And uh, he'll be back uh, guesting again exactly. uh, in a couple weeks. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm happy to be here in the interim to discuss... Um, uh, my favorite cinematic universe as of uh, as of late, yes. um, as of 2022, it's the most invested I am in a cinematic universe, um, which is uh, Marvel. Uh, <laughs> big Marvel fan over here. A lot of Marvel stuff going on. Uh, but before we get all the way into Marvel, we're going to do our new segment, the grab bag of recent releases, aptly named by Steven. So we got a few things to talk about. Uh, why don't we start yeah. with talking about Lightyear, Pixar's latest? Yeah, grab them by the new releases, as they say. <laughs> exactly. That's the tagline, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh, interviewed uh, Angus McLean. He was uh, very uh, kind and uh, sweet in the interview. I think I, uh, I don't know if I like the movie more. I like him more. I yeah. think uh, I, I think more of him and his role in the movie. And I think he's coming from a sweet place. Him like divulging that. Well, the characters are like named after like bridges in Portland. I thought that was sweet. Oh, that's I great. Like, like the Northwest connection. Yeah. He says there's a bunch of other Easter eggs. So, uh, maybe I'll even watch it again. But I also reviewed it on the site. Yeah, so definitely check out the the interview and Calvin's review. Um, but yeah, I thought I didn't think it was that great. I was kind of well, not kind no. of. I was I was pretty disappointed. Um, I think just I, I felt like this seemed like the worst direction to go in for like a light year prequel movie i guess i feel like that character i mean he doesn't really need a movie of his own in the first place i think it certainly no. goes against kind of the character and the the series he exists in but i think for what they had this might have been kind of the most uninteresting option it's kind of hooking on to the uh, one of the more famous scenes that angus mclean was part of the animation team for which is like the uh, toy story 2 event where he, they're like watching the movie right and he's like going up against uh What's it called? Zerg? Yeah, is that right? Yeah. That, yeah. I always think, is that StarCraft or is that Buzz? But yeah. Um, <laughs> it's both. <laughs> he's fighting the Zergs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the Terrans and the Zergs are at war. And uh, Buzz is, you know, he goes over those platforms. It looks like right. a fun video gamey uh, 90s TV show concept. And that's kind of, you know, the impetus for uh, Angus McLean, at least, I think, directing this one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, change of voice actors, which I think actually was fine. I don't think that was a, an, an issue particularly. Do you think there was a, another version of this uh, movie that existed? Like, maybe there were, like, two or three other versions that kind of precluded them reaching, like, this base origin story. Like, yeah. it feels like there's another movie lost here somewhere. I think so. I mean, I think that's that's the problem. It's like, one, it seems like this is the weaker direction to go in and then also what they have it doesn't seem like they did much with it i mean to say like this was this is the movie that was andy's favorite movie and <laughs> you the expectation is like these 
80s 90s like that era of like sci-fi filmmaking and it, it there's a very specific idea of that when you think of that and this movie is very much not that to me i think that's kind of the problem like it references stuff like star wars and it wants to be in conversation with those movies but it's just it doesn't have the same energy at all that was uh one of my favorite questions i got asked steven always gives me like these uh more hardball questions that kind of make people uncomfortable i think it's his uh his niche is a a discomfort that uh, he causes he doesn't (laughs) like to experience it i realize but um he wants if to he be causes it, it's good. <laughs> and I thought Angus's response to it was actually pretty um, sensible that he tried to make like a bad effects from those movies. And uh, I think it could just be more of an aesthetic approach of, uh, right. of attitude, like uh, the attitude of like the 90s sci-fi movie or the 80s. Uh, technically, it would have been an 80s movie uh, that Andy found in 95. Um, so i don't know that's that's convoluted already to the point where i don't think that works as like a elevator pitch right like yeah uh, you're in the elevator with angus and you know sweet guy uh, you want him to make a movie obviously and then you're like <laughs> well so andy found a movie in 95 made from the 80s and it's kind of connected to this toy he has but we're not going to make it the toy we're going to make it the origin story of the guy that the toy is based on like you kind of have to like uh you know, if you can't sell this movie in like ten seconds, I, yeah. I don't think it works for an animated movie, especially for a kid. You want to be like um, Buzz Lightyear, the toy that you love, uh, his latest adventure, um, free from the other toys, and you're going to experience like the origin of like the character before he got to Andy or afterward. Or I don't know. It's just a there's something else that that could have been done that that connected it, and I felt like maybe it was more connected before they were like a. Uh, maybe this isn't, you know, what we want to attach to the Toy Story, but I don't know. I don't want to, like, uh, impose right. my, my own, like, theories on it, but I just feel like there's there's some other lead there that, that isn't there. Yeah, it does seem like that. Like, I, I just, the whole time it feels like they keep taking the, the direction that you don't want them to, you know, like, this sort of hard <laughs> sci-fi angle, which I, I, I get was sort of the, the point of it, but, yeah, it just doesn't feel quite like what you should be seeing for what the what the idea of the movie is it's so ironic after their transformation trilogy or quadrilogy if you include onward uh we're all like shuffled on to disney plus and then this one that's just like a a straight up like genre movie that's very um let's say more accessible but uh also doesn't really demand you going to the theater for it like i don't know like like the elevator pitch, I don't know what to say to someone. Like I saw it in IMAX with Ezra. I mean, like she held on to me the yeah. whole time. That was sweet. I I can't have a horrible time that way. <laughs> I think she only got like she liked Socks the cat. I like Socks too. I think Socks is definitely like the the great takeaway from the movie. But I also feel like <laughs> the way that it's structured, like saying like the toy is based off of this movie and this was his favorite movie. I feel like that kid's going to want a socks toy, maybe, you know, like to add yeah. that character. It just, it, it muddles the timeline in a weird way. Like that it probably shouldn't for me, but to add characters yeah, maybe like that. Socks, yeah. Maybe socks becomes the, uh, efficiently the, the toy of the, the movie then like, uh, buzz doesn't seem that interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would uh, definitely, so maybe that's a bad choice. I think buzz also is just a support character. And I think, um, Toy Story 4 yeah. kind of moving away from him I thought was interesting and I thought Woody always owned more of the story and as kind of the leader of the toys uh, Buzz was mostly just interesting to me as like a counterbalance to 
um, Woody's leadership, <laughs> like uh, yeah. because uh, it made Woody into a neglected toy because there's like this new Space Ranger. It's like a commenting on the history of movies, whereas like the Western was replaced by the uh, space operas of like Star Wars onward, yeah. and uh, that you know that's not even like thought about here. Like <laughs> exactly. uh, it's just like it's just like space movies. Cowboys don't exist. You know, it's like a yeah. It's like, damn, like, this isn't the movie that would have, like, set the genre forward and left the Western exactly. behind. Um, so, I I mean, it's it plays around with Star Wars ideas in some of those movies that might have done something like that. But it's not that movie. It's only pay- paying tribute to them. Yeah, which I think why is why it, like, ends up feeling so weird is it's like this is like a it's like a tribute because it's made now. So these directors love Star right. Wars, but that's not if you're setting it up as a movie that is coming out at that time, that's not how it's going to feel. And that's why I think that it just creates this weird kind of uncanny atmosphere. You're really just, it doesn't ever feel quite right. And it's just, yeah, I think good. even outside of that, it's just not <laughs> a very interesting movie. <laughs> <laughs> the animation of course is good. I mean, you, it's not even like a thing to evaluate. It's like, yeah, Pixar yeah. spent hundreds of hours polishing it. It's fine. Um, uh, they, you know, are, as our friend Alex has said, like it, it just turns him into like a, a racist-looking space cop. It, it's fine. Yeah, you... <laughs> I think especially it's disappointing to see this movie after Turning Red, which feels like Turning Red actually did a lot with the animation and had its own mm-hmm. very unique style, and it had this great color palette, you know, really beautiful and like pastel, and like then this movie just feels like more of the same and it's not interesting and it's it doesn't have any ideas like that about like a very distinct visual style is the movie that andy saw meant to be animated would you say do you think it's meant to be live action but this is a that's a good question representation i mean i I can't tell (laughs) it's difficult i think it's just one of the uh, the, one of the many problems that like their whole premise kind of sets up it's it's how do you how do you have an idea like that and where do you stop thinking about all of those things that go along with it? And it seems like they didn't put much effort into thinking about it. Because, I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe this is just an animated representation. But also, the characters aren't that realistic. Like, you know, like it lives in that weird space again where it's like if they wanted to make it seem like it was live action, then I guess why do it at all? But then if they wanted it to be animated, then they should have leaned more into a style for it. Which, I mean, then they have, they have like a 2D animated Buzz Lightyear prequel series already, as far as I know. Um, not that I've seen, yeah. but that came out in the 2000s, I believe. So it's like, what what is this, you know, is kind of the the place where it lands for me. Yeah, and uh, next to uh, Turning Red, I think it's especially egregious. Because yeah. um, that movie so deserved an IMAX oh, experience yeah. that I got with this, and... I would have done anything to exchange them. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Turning Red in theaters because it's just—I mean, it's, it, the whole movie is about <laughs> things being big. You know, you want to be able to see that on a big screen versus this movie where, it, yeah, there's just nothing really worth. And it feels like the kind of thing that—I mean, I know Stephen himself has talked about this on um, a different podcast, but like this being the movie that seems like it's perfect for Disney Plus, and it's the one that they put out in theaters, but. It's even like the more you think about it, that that makes more sense. Like if you want, I'm sure that probably Disney on some level is telling them that they need to be making these kind of franchise tie-in movies that they can merchandise off 
which is fine but why not then just put those on disney plus and you can get the best of both worlds without making that feel like this is the next big pixar movie and it's really not it, yeah it could have been a easy one-off for for disney plus of course like it seems like it has that level of polish that uh should demand uh cinematic release but uh then you see things like, uh, I guess, the Sea Beast, which I just watched with Ezra. It's like you don't have to put that much into animation. It, you know, if you're going to make a right. mediocre movie, it can just go out <laughs> on Netflix. That's true. Very true. If you're the director of Moana and you just want to make like a seafaring pirate movie, you could just put it out yeah. for nothing, and Why not? uh, people won't <laughs> complain. They'll they'll actually respond well, I think, yeah. to having an option for their kid. Yeah, I think as much as people kind of want to act like there's they're trying to like erase the line between like streaming stuff and theatrical stuff and i think now that we are moving into a space where seeing things in the theater is very normal again like you can tell that like that line you can't really erase that like there is a difference between stuff that's just releasing on streaming and stuff that you know even stuff that deserves to be released in theaters like you, there needs to be a line there that you can actually see some things in theaters <clears throat> Well, I'm awfully glad that uh, theaters are coming back because we have uh, one of my festival darlings of the year. Uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. My second favorite movie currently, Fire of Love, is in theaters yeah. next week. Fire of Love. So we saw this at different festivals earlier this year, I think. When did, did you we? first see yeah. it? Uh, was mine um, Sundance? Uh, maybe that Sundance. That sounds right. And then I think I watched it at South By that's right um, yeah that's yeah, the, that's so. the correct stream of events <laughs> yeah um, you found it at sundance and fell in love with it and i was like i gotta check this out so when i got an opportunity i did and yeah it's it's absolutely brilliant i really love this documentary i keep trying to sell people on it, just saying that people fall in love then they fall into volcanoes which is my favorite pitch to give all year. <laughs> it's See, a great that's pitch. Your elevator pitch it is <laughs> <laughs> that's i couldn't do that with Lightyear, but uh fire of love uh, it's so just <laughs> intrinsically satisfying it's yeah. a piece of cinema that these people have like their natural footage which is like comparable to anything from natural uh national geographic i think it's a yeah. astounding footage and it's so unique and singular in like the love story and how it ties into the rocks and what they're exploring right um, perfect movie yeah i think that often produces some of the some of the more interesting documentaries i've seen where like that's not necessarily the focus of it like obviously they're shooting the footage for that kind of thing but it's not like it was being shot as a documentary and and i think that i often especially with recent documentaries i have this kind of problem where i struggle um and i feel like a lot of documentaries don't really find a good purpose or don't really justify themselves well or i think a lot of them especially will sort of fall into a very specific style of documentary that's yeah. been kind of the the norm in recent years that just doesn't interest me but i think fire well, I always, is, is so different and so brilliant i always think about it like you're not guaranteed to ending when you start a documentary yeah. like you go out and you meet your subjects and sometimes that story just doesn't go anywhere but um in this sense it's a found footage film in that uh these yeah. researchers like you know they they created so much of their own but I think also director Saradosa does so much to piece that together and to create like a narrative out of their yeah. uh, love and their um, love for each other and their subject to science. Uh, exceptional stuff. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like there's a much less interesting documentary here that just takes their, I mean, and of course the research they did is still fascinating and that's an interesting aspect of the movie, but 
I can totally see someone just taking this and making that out of it. Like, here's everything that these people learned about volcanoes. And that's an interesting thing, and it would be fine, I'm sure. But, like, to take it and to run with the sort of love story aspect of it that these two people who worked together and worked on, like, dedicated their lives to volcanoes and studying them, like, it just becomes something so much more interesting and more profound, I think. Yeah, and I don't even think she's, you know, I mean, there is an ending to this story, but I don't think she's guaranteed to, uh, Saradosa at least, uh, to put it into, like, an act structure, which follows, like, a proper romance yeah. and, like, build up and, uh, you know, tensions between them and also um, kind of literally boiling over in the <laughs> volcanoes. And, yeah. like, you see the you see the danger coming as they keep getting closer Definitely. and closer to the volcanoes, and it seems like there's times where he's, like, a... I just want to go like canoeing down the volcanoes. You're like, holy shit, this guy's gonna die soon. Yeah. Um, and it's not even a spoil- spoiler. I think that's just like the truth of the story. That's what happens. They fall in. They, you know, they die. They they get absorbed into magma, and it's a a a, a poetic way. It's almost a beautiful way for them to go out. Like there is no yeah. other death guaranteed, and they even talk about that. They're like, well, if I'm gonna die, right. shouldn't it be doing this? Like, if I get to do this every day until that day comes then i think every day was worth it and i just thought yeah. that was so gorgeous yeah definitely and like I, I like you said about like this the structure of it like that it doesn't feel like it's beholden to any particular like arc like i think that ends up working really beautifully because it doesn't feel like it's in search of a specific answer like a lot of documentaries are like they're they're trying to make one specific thesis statement but this really isn't mm-hmm. and i think it, it helps that like it keeps that sort of mystique like even the people that knew them don't really know the origins of their relationship and it talks about how like there's a bunch of different stories about how they met but nobody really knows and i really like that like that it keeps that kind of just to them and then it just kind of goes from there and it's just sort of this document of these people without trying to push in any specific direction but then you end up pulling so much out of it yeah it's pretty neat um i just feel so warm when i'm talking about fire of love um that I, I think it's, you know, as I think about the year and what movies have really provided for me, it's probably um, the movie I feel warmest about and uh, that, I, that I have the most time for thinking about. Um, yeah. I mean, there I had, like, exceptional things like uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is just, like I think, like, the most incredible movie that will be made this right. year. But Fire of Love really occupies, like, all my interests. And, uh, yeah, and I, I think something like Fire of Love is, like, the perfect, like, sort of festival find, like, this movie that yeah you know the best thing of the year we've seen is probably everything everywhere all at once but then you have this movie that's like so much smaller and it feels like so much more fun to recommend because who's heard of this movie you know you know something worth spreading and i think it's it's great to have that kind of thing especially for a documentary like this is a really something worth sharing you know well, like everything, everywhere, all at once, will be in the um, letterbox two fifty for the right. rest of his existence. <laughs> but, um, but what about like Fire of Love? What if we could recommend a movie like that and get it into like the documentary two fifty? I think that would be a more like yeah, meaningful absolutely. pursuit overall. <laughs> I think it should be there. I think it's that great. I, I think, think it's so one too. of the best yeah. uh, documentaries of the last ten years. I think it's um, you know I wouldn't say it's like the documentary of all time, but I think Saradosa is a special filmmaker and. Uh, hoping to chat with her too. Um, we we keep working on an interview. We're seeing if things line up this week, but we'll see. Yeah, so that might be posted by the time this podcast comes out, and if so, I will I will link that if that ends up happening. Um, and you had you had one more movie to talk about here. What do you what do you got? Oh for sure. Us? 
um, acid test, which is set in 1992, my favorite era, maybe my favorite <laughs> year of music, um, because that's the year that I think, um, well, grunge really took off. Of yeah, course, you yeah. have like Nirvana's Nevermind coming out next to like Metallica's Black Album. You have uh, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> you have a uh, Pearl Jam coming out that year with like their significant statement. Um, you have some Soundgarden. I mean, it was wow. just like holy shit, yeah. like, it, there was, like, a, a one-month span where most of these bands put out an album um, awesome. that I just named, like, uh, 1992 was incredible, but um, even on the fringes of it, there was uh, this band from Olympia called uh, Bikini Kill, I don't know if you've heard of I think I um, have, yeah. They're, like, at the forefront of the Riot Girl movement, which oh, yeah. is... Okay. Um, uh, kind of spawned on the fringes of grunge. I think what people forget about grunge is that it was such a progressive movement because it opened these doorways and avenues for uh, lead singers of women bands to uh, come out and do more progressive right. things. Like they're not just coming out with a guitar and doing singer songwriter things yeah. that uh, women have always occupied like that space. Like, okay, you could do it safely, but um, you can't be Elvis or, you know, uh, to bring up a, a relevant example that's around right now, but uh, <laughs> you can't be out there like a, uh, talking about your body and right. like your rights, and uh, um, I think like like Kurt Cobain even coming out in a dress was kind of like a shift in some kind of culture, right? Like yeah. people started dressing in a, uh, I mean, like hair metal, of course, is very uh, you, it could be effeminate, but it was also like uh, uh, tight leather pants and just like a, <laughs> yeah, uh, how big do you think the cock is in there? I mean, it's just like uh, <laughs> you know, it's like um, men kind of showboating in yeah, a way. It's yeah. not like. Uh, it's not like that opened a door for women. It kind of felt like men were just on stage looking for groupies and like their songs were about that right. shit. And, and then finally in the nineties, it was like, these songs are like internalized and they're distorted and they're ugly and they're, uh, they're, they're kind of gorgeous in their destruction, but bikini kill <clears throat> from Olympia, um, which, you know, there are several great, uh, women front of bands from Olympia in the nineties, uh, Sleater Kenny, uh, another one that's very prominent. Um, from around that same area in that same place. Uh, Bikini Kill put out uh, a, a newsletter, and in their second zine, they uh, they had a Riot Girl manifesto. So that okay. kind of influences the character here. She goes into like a, a concert, and I don't think it's Bikini Kill in the movie, but it's you know meant to right. be essentially that. Like they have a like the riding with sharpies on their arms, like a property or, or a slut. And they're like, right. well, that's what, you know, that's what men think of us anyway. So uh, it's them like modeling uh, behaviors that they feel are already enforced on them as like social stereotypes. Yeah. And then like uh, uh, projecting that through uh, their affinity for music and connection with bands and finding their womanhood that way. Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> I'd recommend reading Bikini Kills, um, Right Girl Manifesto, because it's a, a pretty funny read. As, uh, I mean, just like counterculturally, I think it's uh, amusing. I think it's I think it's fun when uh, people are that um, against the system yeah. and, and have so much to say for themselves about it. Uh, it's just like a series of like, because I'm a woman and this is what makes me a woman, but none of it's like the cliched um, early feminist stuff. You could see like it's all you know, third, fourth wave feminism, and it's moving into, like, a different understanding of women and their bodies and, like, control over it in society. Uh, like, one line, <laughs> I think my favorite, because I believe with my whole heart, mind, body, one word, 
<laughs> that girls constitute a revolu- revolutionary soul force that can and will change the world for real. Um, so it's kind of like that Scott yeah. Pilgrim aesthetic too. Like you're like kind of punkish, and that kind of grew out of like affinities for those scenes. So um, I I don't love the movie. I think it's shot often like people aren't acting it's kind of like there's okay. just cameras on people operating in their own world which i think could be useful in a way that young women especially with like a latino lens here on the main character might uh, relate to it and see like uh, how can women from other cultures blend yeah. into countercultural forces when they go home and their mom's like <laughs> you have slut written on right. you and that's <laughs> not what we believe in our very conservative uh leaning um uh, family that uh we already have enough to like go up against in society. Why do you need to label yourself with the yeah. derogatory terms? So uh, I think there's a lot to explore there, and I think it does some of that uh, very surface level exploration of things that I really like. So uh, I, I mean, I'm leaning toward the right audience could find something in acid test, but uh, not you know not my favorite movie about that subject. Yeah, I mean sometimes like uh, to be clear, I, I haven't seen this yet. Um, but yeah, I, I I do like stuff like that, which I mean I think I'll I'll talk about a little bit more later. But like stuff that just has good ideas and you know has something that it's going for, even if it's just you know aesthetic or a concept. If it's something like that, and even if it doesn't work quite as well as it maybe it could, that's I still find that much more interesting than you know something that's just kind of nothing even if it's maybe more competent in execution you know what i mean yeah uh, i think we uh you know her smell a few years ago was kind of a more mainstream example with elizabeth okay. moss running that one in kind of what would be like a uh, a courtney love kind of right. figure um so those women in the those scenes are very interesting and Courtney Love, of course, going around like the Seattle scene, but essentially holes a L.A. van, so I don't quite include them. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, she's also a, a important figure in women in yeah. rock in the '90s, of course. So uh, so I'd recommend that movie, but also uh, maybe check out Acid Test if you uh, if that all sounds interesting. If you're a Bikini Kill fan, of course you should <laughs> check it out. But but also if you remember like those very progressive zines that were kind of like the Counterforce, like you had your Rolling Stones, which was very album centric, and yeah. like, uh, let's work on the canon, and it's like, let's break the fucking canon, like establish <laughs> our own barriers and our own bylaws of how rock music works. So, uh, that stuff interests me a lot. Yeah, it's the whole. I mean, let's yeah, it's the the idea of the punk and kind of the the ethos of it. I like when that kind of thing is distilled in an effective way. I think it, yeah. it doesn't happen uh, often enough. I think. No, I I'd like to see more. Uh, movies like this even i I like the independent nature like uh, i think an independent movie has the same access to those tools that those bands did in olympia in seattle back then i think the modern independent cinema will be seen as that same kind of countercultural force one day so i think so too that's a yeah yeah, it's a great way to look at it um so keep working on your movies (laughs) (laughs) uh not a good segue since we're about to talk about the exact opposite of independent cinema but <laughs> yeah, guns and roses yeah uh, let's let's move on to our our main movie today so let's talk about uh kind of just mcu and and thor love and thunder i might have said ragnarok earlier i might have to edit that if i sure. said ragnarok when introducing this podcast <laughs> uh are they the same movie uh, kind of in a way uh uh ragnarok is him kind of paying his dues to marvel making like a creatively interesting right. like uh 
um, what what would it look like if a director could do what they wanted in Marvel? And uh, this is kind of like a what would a Marvel movie look like if it was just a director doing its own thing? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask. So I mean, Stephen and I have talked about most of the recent Marvel releases. Um, sure. So we've kind of gone over this, but I'm curious what 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 are your thoughts kind of on recent MCU? I guess post Endgame specifically. What have you gotten through? What are your what are your opinions in general? It feels like when it was just starting, um, I feel like it's kind of a refresh without like the Iron Man, like there's not like an anchor yet. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like they're kind of <laughs> scrambling to find one as they also um, chose maybe the hardest time to diversify their content, like por- portfolio. Right. Like, uh, like right at the start of a new phase, they also launched like six TV shows like oh, concurrently with these movies. And I'm much. just like it's just a factory of content that at some point is just like all these sound staged movies that uh, people show up and they shoot, you know, their scenes for that, but also their scenes for interconnected things. Does anyone know what they're shooting? I think uh, at least with um, a Sam Raimi and a Taika Waititi movie, maybe you do know what you're working on. Uh, maybe, maybe there's enough identity there that you're, yeah. you're working with those guys. You know what this is. Yeah, that's that is really it though. Like it's just so there's just so much now. Like it can't be an event anymore because it's just always happening. Like when they're just they're doing yeah. <laughs> one movie or maybe even two movies a year. Like you can build up to that and you can get excited about it. But when there's always something new coming out, there's nothing to ever be excited about. And there's always a new movie and there's always a new show and it's just it's hard to it's hard to be invested in at this point, I think. At least invested in all of it if you're also interested in just about anything else. <laughs> Well, Thor Ragnarok kind of came at an interesting point, too, where, I mean, that was a higher point for Marvel, where Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok were showing that they were interested in, in the voices of their directors as, like, they started facing backlash because, like, say, like, Natalie Portman in Thor The Dark World was like, uh, please hire Patty Jenkins, <laughs> and, and Marvel's like, we don't like this director, we don't like what she's doing with ours, and of course she went on to do, like, hugely successful DC yeah. things and kind of shove it in their nose, like, holy shit, like, this woman's, like, outpacing our, uh, you know, we haven't even got a woman director <laughs> still, and Natalie Portman was kind of, like, fronting that charge, so in some way, like, it feels like an apology tour to, like, bring her back and let her be Mighty Thor and kind of finish her work, put her in Valhalla, and uh, yeah. kind of put a, a cap on, like, an ugly chapter that kind of coincided with Edgar Wright being (laughs) shunned off of uh, Ant-Man. So I thought that Thor Ragnarok was kind of a statement of like, okay, uh, we're letting at least um, Cougar, Gunn, and Watiti do their thing. Uh, Nobody else might be able to, but those three. Yeah, that's that's such the kind of the problem is like you, there was was definitely that point like pre-Ragnarok where it felt like even among sort of the mcu fans like they were getting there was there was a fatigue early on just in the style of it and like that all these movies are kind of colorless and drab and like yeah first you know james gunn sort of did his own counter to that with guardians but then you had thor ragnarok where it felt like okay so now we have a couple of these and then yeah also black panther and enough of these that felt like okay maybe we can sort of split away from the formula and do something different and it's like now we're past those movies and it feels like everything after Endgame has gone back to just being drab and kind of bland and formulaic and now it's like this fatigue that is totally different from the first time 
I'm noting that as you say, Guardians of the Galaxy is the first one to like reinstate color. You're you're sitting in front of the only black and white poster of Guardians of the Galaxy I've seen. <laughs> uh, the only colorless one. It is also uh, it's yellow. My my color might be okay. watching it though, but it is yellow. Okay, well. it is yellow. Uh, <laughs> there is color on it. Uh, just not visible on the video. I, I I mean, yeah, I like I like when they experiment. I still haven't seen Suicide Squad. Like, I don't know like the state of affairs for the modern um, hero movie because I've not like experimented with Swamp Thing or any of DC's proper shows. Um, yeah, I never really know what DC's doing. No, I I go to their uh, Batman movies. Um, I know that uh, Marvel has quite a few that I've barely dipped into. I've watched three of each of them, I think. <laughs> um, I've you know I've kind of gone back and looked at some of the endings and researched right. a little bit for for this episode but uh, uh none of those seem particularly interesting to me uh yeah. miss marvel seems most interesting but also i don't i don't know there's so many shows to watch why you know yeah, I, am i going to get to it right the shows are just are just way too much for me like i mean i already have trouble watching even shows that i am interested in <laughs> like to a degree where i just kind of people recommend me shows and i'm like just to be upfront, <laughs> i probably won't get to that because there's just there's enough movies to be watching and that's what I'm more invested yeah. in. But yeah, the Marvel shows, especially, I just have no interest in. Yeah. The only one that I think I would probably check out is Miss Marvel. I think because Steven is so interested in it and has recommended yeah. it, but yeah, it's just too much. Moon, Moon Knight interests me a lot, but I, I, I don't, like I say, like there's a dozen shows that I would watch before these yeah. that I would, that I still am not going to watch. So, um, I, TV's not really my bag. I'll watch some short series. <laughs> uh, I think one of the remarkable things, actually, that happened in television, um, two of the remarkable things. Let's go two things that happened in television last year that reflect into Thor: Love and Thunder. Okay. Uh, first, um, Taika Waititi took all his Marvel money and did something fucking amazing, which is that he like a uh, produced Reservation Dogs, which is like a um the most native storytelling we've got to see on TV in many years. Yeah, I've heard great things about that show. Yeah, I uh, just fantastic all-native cast, and, like, he put his money on it. He's on the billboard. Taika Waititi's on, you know. Um, I mean, if you're going to go do Marvel, uh, take time off between and and produce, like, uh, diverse fictions and let people have their own voices heard. I think that's... I, I hope to keep seeing him do projects like that and possibly even more Res Dogs. Cause... Yeah, I, and I, I want to say, I, you know, I'm speaking totally off the top of my head here, so this could be wrong to to, to a degree, but I think he also produced, there's another show that came out recently, um, Our Flag Means Death, which oh. I, I think he, he's, I know he's in it, but I think he also produced that, and I know that's been a show that's been really popular, particularly with like the LGBTQ community, so I and so I think it has that. It's like a pirate show, but I think it has those kind of that kind of tilt to it, which sounds really interesting. I don't know <laughs> enough about it clearly, but but it's the same idea, like that he's taking mm-hmm. this kind of money and doing these interesting projects, which I appreciate a lot. Yeah, as long as it's not uh, JoJo Rabbit, I think anything else <laughs> would be interesting. Uh, but nobody debates about that. Uh, nobody's talking about JoJo Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, leave that one alone. <laughs> Uh, nobody's talking about that, uh, but they are talking about uh, Ted Lasso, uh, which is the Apple uh, show of the moment of the last two years. Um, and there's a lot of um, 
buzz about who is going to be Hercules, which was going to be reprised possibly at the end of this movie, which it was. Uh, we're in a spoiler cast. We could talk about That's true. endings, talk right? About whatever. <laughs> uh, so Brett Goldstein is uh, reprising Hercules, which looks really well cast. Like I'm, I'm genuinely excited for possibility of either a Hercules movie or him in Thor five. Yeah, and it's interesting. We were talking about this. A few of us were talking about this movie earlier, and came up in kind of discussion of like, do these credit scenes like even matter anymore like it feels like they're so just random and they just cast they kind of do like this stunt casting thing where they get a person that's popular and they put them in the movie and then it seems like this might get pulled into something and it might just be dropped forever and nobody will really think about it you know like it seems like there are plenty of those threads that they go oh here's a tease and then you really never hear about it again so it's like like are they going to do anything with hercules or not (laughs) The Eternals one, I don't, I don't know if I care, but uh, oh, you know, I definitely I, don't. <laughs> end of Doctor Strange, just give me a Bruce Campbell punchline. I, that's better for me than a tease. Yeah. Uh, but I've uh, gone into reading a few comics. I've, I've read very few in my lifetime. I could probably count on two hands how many I've read. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't have significant memories or nostalgia for these characters based on anything yeah. outside these texts, like. Uh, it's just movies for me. Like these are cinematic characters to me. Uh, so I, I've gone back and uh, looked at a few things. And of course, like the at the end of the comics, they're like yeah, Thor will return and blah blah blah. Right. They, they do like uh, also put footnotes in asterisks for like okay, go reference this to go see what Thor was doing at this time. Which <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's interconnected, but also serialized in yeah. a way that. Uh, these movies don't quite get to be and is kind of confused at this moment where they're transferring to television. But I bring up Ted Lasso also because I think Apple's doing probably the best job of curation of talent on TV. I don't have an idea who um, the showrunners are for Marvel shows. Do you know who's running any of these shows? No, absolutely not. <laughs> so I think that's an issue, right? Yeah. Like a, when I think of a show that I'm going to watch on TV, it's because I know that uh, someone's like at the forefront of it creatively. I know it's a David Lynch right. show or, um, you know, I know it's going to be Sopranos. I know it has a legacy based on television. I'm going to go watch a movie based on that because I'm invested. Or I know Breaking Bad. It's like these creators yeah. of these shows. I I know Ben Skilligan. I know what he's going to do. I know that I'm all for Better Call Saul because it's the guy who made this. Um, so I guess I, not to like harp on auteur theory but um when there's one creative entity behind like a project i'm more likely to care no i agree i think that does matter i mean you you talk about like the the people that have kind of come out of the mcu as like these standout directors and it's like those voices you know we can talk about auteur theory or whatever but like those voices are still important important and they still have a style that is associated with them and i think that whether it's intentional or not, the shows have kind of ended up just being like an easier way for them to remove that, which seems like their goal is to, they can kind of control whatever they want themselves and the people that are attached to it are less and less important. It almost becomes like a comic book or a video game where only the people who are really in it know who these people are. Yeah. Like, uh, I think most people who've consumed these things, like not the movies, the director is very relevant. Like they, they're on, you know, Taika right. Waititi, you're going to see everywhere. And I think you're right that that Marvel would just rather it be Marvel makes this show. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
that bothers me so yeah i mean me too and i think that's like it's kind of proven with like you we had this idea of maybe the mcu will do something different and they really haven't and now we finally we finally get back to taika waititi and it does feel different again finally you know even you have yeah. you have sam raimi making a marvel movie and <laughs> i think you like it a lot more than i do but it, it it does it feels like a marvel movie it doesn't feel like a sam raimi movie outside of a couple of choice moments to me and i think that's such a problem with the way that they do things even i'm middle of the road on it but i think i see the things there that that matter to me and that that possibly could matter to MCU. I'll say that this phase is impressing me and getting away from what I, I think it's better than the first phase. Uh, I'll start there. <laughs> I think this reset is better than an initial first phase, which is pushing towards um, fetishization of like military propaganda machines um, yeah. and Marvel kind of functioning as that in the first two phases. Like it, it started to battle it in the third, but um, I definitely was like, uh, yeah, you're going to have to deal with that later. And uh, I don't feel yeah. like they're setting up these problematic tendencies. I think they're starting the phase with a lot of diversity and uh, at least options for um, for different characters to show different you know faces to an audience who need to see them. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point that it does feel like they've really moved away from that, which is so great. And I think it's kind of just a, a matter of like the heroes they chose to start the franchise <laughs> were like the heroes that were like it's the it's the names that you know so you kind of have to do it but then also like there's a connotation that comes with you know iron man who's the billionaire superhero or captain america who's the propaganda machine superhero um so, and you, know. you get the russo brothers out of there so they could just go make their gray man somewhere else uh, yeah which is nice <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, is, is it does anyone know about that movie like the people that watch marvel movies do you think they know that the russo brothers have a movie coming out this month um, you know that's a great question i i don't i don't know it seems like that's not probably not working in the way that the people like the russo brothers want it to like i assume that that's what they they kind of want their legacy to be is like we're the avengers endgame guys who made the biggest movie and now follow us as we do a bunch more big movies that all have probably the same idea but i don't know if they're really getting that following I think they were functionally the directors that Marvel wanted because they could yeah. just imprint the brand. Like Endgame just seems like it's Marvel. Like it's Kevin Feige just like pulling strings and it feels like he's like Geppetto up there, like <laughs> uh, just orchestrating like this, uh, you know, uh, fantastic like blend of all these things that came before it that, uh, that again, just doesn't have any distinct voice at all to me. But um, yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, there's no, when I think of them, I don't think of anything in particular. There's no style yes. I really associate with it. You know, I guess there's right. <laughs> at least where they started, there was more of a style, you know, when they did, unless I'm misremembering, they did Winter Soldier, which is actually a Marvel movie that I like a lot. Um, and that had a style, it had ideas and that was so much better because it was actually, they had something to say and it had interesting things in it, but as it goes on, I, I see that less and less. And so now it's like, what am I going to see your next movie for if I don't know what your style really even is? Right. I think this at least um, is one of the closest. Well, I, it's hard to say since I just started with comic books. I don't want to be the guy that's like, <laughs> a, I've, I've read one comic book and, and now like uh, every movie is just like, every <laughs> right. comic book is this movie, right? Like, uh, you know. I've seen Boss Baby, and you know every movie is related to that now. That meme. <laughs> um, that's me reading uh, the Mighty Thor, and I, I read the uh, original appearances of Thor, uh, several of them. 
Um, and I felt like, uh, you know, besides Spider-Verse, I think this is the comic book movie of the last few years that feels like a comic book. Like, it's just... Yeah. Uh, uh, I've learned this week that comic books aren't complete arcs. Like, the, they're serialized in a way where uh, parts of the story come out like a chapter. Like, it's just... Oh, okay. Uh, this, like, there could be side stories, and that's like a complete arc of, like, a series, right? Like, right. Uh, so there's like a run of 10 Thor comics and they all go toward like one direction and one of the, you pay $5 and you get one battle in a book, right? Yeah. Like it's, and that, this kind of feels like that to me, like it's a slice of a, you know, it's not like a main fixture yeah. of like a, a universe storytelling like Ragnarok, but, uh, but it feels like an independent thing that's happening besides Loki, uh, which Loki doesn't appear at all in this movie. First one that he's not like engaged. Yeah, in. that's true. And he, he's a <laughs> very interesting Thor character, possibly my favorite. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, interesting. But, but, yeah, we'll get back to Loki in a bit, but uh, um, what were you going to say? I, I just like, I like that idea. And I do think this movie does do like the best job of feeling like kind of lower stakes, but I do think I, I, I do like the movie ultimately. And I think I, it's certainly the thing I liked the most of the last few years of Marvel releases, but I also think that even then it's, it's, there's still too many stakes. I think that something even more <laughs> stakes would be even better. I mean, and that's what these should be. These, these newer movies post end game should be quieter and smaller and, you know, doing interesting things, but instead it's everyone still ends up building up to, you know, this giant event and, I, I don't think it needs to. I mean, you you talk about, like, you go all the way back to, again, like, phase one. Like, the first Iron Man, like, that's not a world-ending, world-threatening event or anything. No. It's him against, you know, this his business partner. And it's just these two people. And still, this movie is still, it mostly affects Thor. It's not like it impacts the whole universe. But it still feels like it's bigger than it needs to be. Yeah, sure. And, uh... Maybe it's bigger than it needs to be, and it combines so many comics that needs to be, you know, fewer yeah. uh, stories going into it. Because, uh, like, well, just based on like small research and looking through these, like Gore <laughs> is a fascinating character who's played by Christian Bale to like really good effect, I think. But uh, uh, yeah, the film opens with him and he's like cradling his daughter who's dying, and uh, in the um, comic books, it's like his people have been persecuted for generations by these gods that are uncaring and uh that gives him a road towards vengeance he wants to become the god butcher and he wants to go murder all of them and he creates like a diabolical bomb that will do that and it's kind of um uh, streamlined it's like cliff notes in the in the movie um yeah it's like you get like the the sense that it's just his daughter like it's not like generations of his people like maligned yeah. by the gods yeah, he kind of briefly talks about that when he is talking to a god, but I agree, like, it feels like he should be a character that would maybe even be, I mean, I don't think he would impact the universe in, like, the way that someone like Thanos would, but he feels like a character that you need to spend time with and build up to really earn that god-butcher status, and I maybe in a way that's just not conducive to these films at all. Um, yeah, and you can't have him kill the gods, right? Like, you need, like, uh, what this is setting up for is... Thor versus the gods and Hercules is effectively what this movie yeah. is like leading toward. So, like, Gore's actual impact as a narrator is strange. Like, uh, we don't always know who he's talking to. He's talking to other gods at some point. Um, 
there's like three different frames of his narration. <laughs> uh, sometimes he's talking to children or, you know, uh, to us directly as an audience. It's a little bit confusing. It also does the uh, kind of stage play, which is uh, one of my favorite yeah. parts, just the uh, Marvel not relying on special effects and just allowing some of the backstory of previous films to kind of be yeah. like uh, recreated on the stage with just, you know, uh, a horrible production. Just, uh, I love it. Yeah, yeah, I, I do like... I mean, I do like Agor a lot as a villain, I think, and yeah, Christian Bale does such a great job. I think I think kind of my repeated refrain with this movie is like that it doesn't necessarily, you know, make contact with everything that it's swinging at, but I appreciate that it's trying something and it's doing so much more than a lot of these are. And so like, when I feel like the movie is actually putting in, you know, that effort and doing some, trying to do something different, I'm like, even though it doesn't totally work, I appreciate that and I would rather be seeing that yeah um and for me it's just funny i think it's um effectively a comedy film i find it very amusing uh, yeah. we went together right and uh, i i think we were both laughing more than most in the theater i, <laughs> I think, think we, so too i think we greatly enjoyed it more than most i think that's fine like i uh, i think it's interesting for uh people that might be on the outs with marvel to kind of be yeah uh, brought back in with something that uh that that's not going to speak to so many critics but very evidently to me is made for like an audience like i think the audience likes it so much more yeah i mean i think that's the thing like so many of these the comedy feels super forced because there's this way that apparently all of these movies need to be written (laughs) where like they all have these jokes constantly and it doesn't matter what the substance of the film around it is so like all of these movies recently have been so self-serious but then there also is this just insufferable dialogue that constantly has to be hilarious and so it, it yeah. the stuff clashes but this movie it just leans into the humor and there is more grounded stuff but i think that the way mm-hmm. this movie leans into its style it feels much more conducive to that humor actually being there and being enjoyable i think uh what td's pretty good is korg i think korg's like a good uh device for the comedy but um I think even even better at understanding what TD is Tessa Thompson. I think she fits so well into his yeah. mold of comedy. I, I was very impressed with her. I liked Tessa Thompson quite a bit. Yeah, I thought she was great in Ragnarok, and I'm glad that she had even more of a, a presence in this movie. I think she's just a great Absolutely. character. Valkyrie is just an interesting addition, like a, such a great addition <laughs> to it. To, I like that this movie like ends up being more like. Thor ends up kind of taking a backseat to like these two women that I think are honestly yeah. kind of more interesting than he is. I'd um, rather watch uh, right. Tessa do her Old Spice commercials. Than, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Make a movie about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I think that's the quiet movie that I kind of want instead is like Thor, disillusioned Thor returning to Asgard and he sees it's become this like corporatized tourist destination. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's like half the movie here. I, I think you almost get that movie here. Yeah, that's, quite, that's the thing. Yeah. Is It's almost there, but I feel like it doesn't, it could lean into that more, but you know. I mean, it does a weird, I think, as you say, there are too many stories. Like yeah. a lot of the things going on with Thor are like his disillusionment, as you say, coming back and trying to find peace in a new life after things have ended. But um, contrasted with that, it's like he's a uh, he's lost his Mjolnir. I mean, it's gone to Mighty Thor, who's played by Natalie Portman, Jane Foster. Uh, she's taken his uh, you know his mighty uh, weapon, and now he's left with the Stormbreaker, which is a, um, a, a representation of his ex. Which again, it's like the Lightyear thing. Like if you have to keep explaining these ideas, <laughs> and it 
it's not as good of a pitch as Ragnarok. Yeah. I think it's just you kind of have to go and I think you should lose your expectations first. <laughs> I think like uh, this isn't going to be Ragnarok and it's not going to be something that's expansively uh, universe yeah. defining. It's just going to be a fun one off. Yeah, but I mean, I, I just I like what this movie is trying to do so much. Like the the mm-hmm. idea, like of 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 having like a superhero movie like this. Like even just thinking of it in that context of like if this if this if this is the franchise and if these are the movies that the younger generation are you know sort of taking in and this is all that they're consuming, then right. do something with that and actually make an attempt to like say something with them rather than them just being superhero movies. And like, I appreciate that this is a movie that's like, yeah, being a superhero is one thing, but also it, you know, ends up at this point where he just feels really disillusioned and hollow. And he has to kind of come to this conclusion of, Oh yeah, I need to care about the people around me. And that's more important to like, kind of make my own home than just be wandering around aimlessly and doing hero stuff. Like, I mean, like, Eternals was so obnoxiously, like, in the weeds about, like, yeah. how the universe functionally works, and it's, like, um, yeah, I mean, you take a, a pretty good collector like Chloe Zhao, and you get her to make a movie that that seems like she's trying to be part of a universe, and she's trying really hard to, like, explain the form and function of how her new heroes fit into this, and then you have Taika Waititi, who's, like, just doesn't give a shit i mean like he's like i'm just going to care about the characters that <laughs> yeah. like, they're it's the characters that are enrich enriching and like that's what people like about comics i feel like he understands and has read the comics and i don't know if like chloe Zhao, i'm sure she's read like the source materials i don't think she understands like why a comic book movie should exist yeah um, i i think it, it feels like with eternals in particular like it's trying to sort of like she had an aesthetic and an idea that she wanted to do something with and then she shoved comic book characters into it whereas i think ytt like takes these characters and uses them as that vehicle and knows how to use them you know with Mm -hmm. with with ease and i think like especially this movie like it's not this like self-serious movie that's attempting to be like high art or whatever eternals is trying to do (laughs) and failing at but you know like this movie leans into being like this sort of cheesy goofy 80s thing and that just makes it feel more sincere in a way because it's not trying to like be so serious about it man if you try to make high art of these movies and you fail i think that's about the most embarrassing outcome yeah, exactly possible <laughs> um it's better not to try and to really like uh i mean i'm not saying it's an effortless movie obviously like hundreds of hours went into this yeah. for like a large production team but uh i mean taika watiti you know he's he's not trying to make his uh defining art piece here. right less exactly. than ragnarok he's just having a lot of fun yeah and i mean i think it's probably important that like he already has made movies like that you know mm-hmm. and he's he's done those things i mean i guess chloe Zhao has too but maybe not enough <laughs> to have gotten to this point and <laughs> felt like she had the liberty to just take it easy and do something fun with it i think they like picking up directors a little bit too early i think they're yeah. easier to mold into like the the brand and i think chloe Zhao, while she had two good movies was uh still you know i mean she's not like a stylist yet you can't right. I mean, you could connect the writer and nomadland and they're they're both good independently and uh there's plenty of criticism to say for both but uh i mean i don't feel a distinct 
I need at least three movies is usually my opinion to like find uh, an author's voice. Like I feel yeah, like I we'll so. find um, with like Edgar Wright, we we have like a, a series of movies with Jordan Peele. We're going to have like a series of, of three yeah. that like define um, this is what this director can do. And now we have a, a form function. Now we should go do other things. Like he jumped into Twilight Zone before I thought he had like a, a signature style. I think he needed to do that after Nope. But uh, we'll see yeah, how that right. goes as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess given how that was received generally. <laughs> I liked like bits and parts of it. Like it recreated some Twilight Zone episodes. Jordan Peele's in- inclusions were kind of interesting. But yeah, like uh, putting these directors on these projects before they've really nailed yeah. in there. Uh, we look back at like old movies and even I think of it in terms of music. Like musicians were allowed to fail for three or four albums before the... Um, record executives expected any outcome from them and now if someone's mildly successful twice they're put on to like a hundred million dollar budget movie and that that could be career ending for you know a director who you know has little input in this movie that might you know make or break them and their style for the rest of their career yeah it's a horrible thing to do yeah and i think like when you have more of that experience like then you get people who are you know more seasoned like james gunn or type mm-hmm. ytt and like they understand at that point like how to work with what they have and then these directors have now you know carved out more of a voice for themselves in this universe like they understand how to work within that system to to get something out of it that's not just being totally directed by the studio right like kugler already had like the creed like he was already establishing like a, a yeah, voice yeah. at box office like he proved that he could make a franchise movie that launched like a, a a new thing that's still going like creed 3 is coming out michael b jordan's directing i mean that's yeah you know. and he also did fruitvale station i think he did yeah, as well that's right. which that is a really too. great movie yeah like he definitely had a, a specific voice by that point that i i think they capitalized on effectively and i have my problems with black panther but it, again it's like it's a movie that's trying something and is much different than a lot of the things around it which i appreciate a lot yeah, I mean, Disney's been doing this for a long time. I mean, it doesn't always work for the established director. Like, look at like <laughs> Tim Burton on like their remakes for Dumbo yeah. and stuff. It's like, you could be a director with a lot of pedigree and kind of be distracted by the tech and not still not make the right thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people might argue with Tim Burton that he's been kind of on that downward slope <laughs> for long enough that, that maybe there was nothing to get out of it. We'll uh, see how Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio goes. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking not too well. <laughs> no. Um, so there's... Yeah, I think at least Watiti is interested in curious things. He seems to have curiosity for the people yeah. in his movies and uh, seems to be super progressive. I mean, despite Jojo Rabbit being horribly mismarketed. I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a well-shot movie with color and... Uh, you look at it without a political lens, which you probably shouldn't do. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> right. he's still a talented man. Like he's not going to make an ugly movie. And I yeah. think that follows here. Yeah. I, I think this is, it's interesting to watch movies like this where it's like, there's clearly someone behind it, you know, ITD or the, the cinematographer of that team altogether. But like, they definitely have these ideas and it's sort of like, they're sort of inserts kind of in the middle of it. Like when they get a chance, they can do a really cool shot and then they have to go back <laughs> to like this very specific style when there's like, action or character driven stuff but it's worth it for those moments where i think they can do more interesting things i think that like sort of finale scene where they're in the 
I don't know what they call it, the endless or the end of time or what, what, I don't know what that right. was called, but where there was that like eternal being who just like was a galaxy. That was like, that was an interesting visual thing that they did. I've, I don't know enough about Marvel to know if eternity or whatever this figure is, is like a, I know there's Galactus. I know he might be like, um, I thought that's what it was moving towards was like a Galactus yeah. thing. So I was surprised that it didn't, although glad that it didn't also. Who was the big uh, enemy guy in the last one? You'll have to help me with the, my memory. Um, the Oh, in Ragnarok? No, no, in uh, Endgame. Who were, they, oh. uh, who were they fighting last phase? Uh, Thanos? Thanos, yeah. yeah. So I thought, like, uh, what, are, what are we establishing as a new Thanos? I thought we might be getting there here. Yeah. I, at least, I, like, pointing toward a direction with Eternity and Galactus, possibly, and, like, Doom, right. maybe, is one of the names? Maybe that's the name of a character? That does seem like... Yeah, Doctor Doom Doctor would be an Doom. interesting thing that they have. They have Fantastic Four now. I, I think we talked about this a little bit in in our Doctor Strange episode. But yeah, it's like I don't really know where we're going now. I don't know what we're building towards, and I think that's maybe their intent is to not be building it all towards something specific, which is fine. But then also at the same time, when you're still making every film be in conversation with the universe and with itself, and it's just like they're all still way too connected to be interesting but you're not doing anything with that and it's like if these were allowed to just be their own thing then that would be i think much more interesting but i don't know if we do you think they've realized that they're making too much content for people to have to watch all of them like do you think that they've effectively created such a system where people uh, shouldn't have to keep up because uh, that's a a large task i i don't know it seems like they're in a place right now where maybe they haven't quite gotten to that point of realization yet like i think they're Mm -hmm. still maybe sort of blinded by the fact that they can just make whatever they want all the time and (laughs) they might be too caught up in that but maybe at least hopefully at some point they'll realize that maybe it needs a bit of course correction second part of that question back to you would be um do you think early in a phase is the right time to keep trying things and throwing things at the wall do you think before they set onto a course that uh, it's worthwhile to experiment and keep trying like these, even if they they're not working. Is it worth keep swinging and uh, letting these directors try? I is think it worth so. Chloe Zhao making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think so, but I think that they also need to let go of that thing that they are they're too locked into. Like, I think they can have that where they say this is the next phase, and we're not going to do a whole, you know, build up to another big bad because it would feel too similar, mm-hmm. and that's fine. But then you need to actually let the directors do whatever they want. You need to not have it be tied into everything. You need to not have everything be so interconnected, you know. And then, yeah, let people swing for the fences and do whatever. And then I won't care. And I probably would have enjoyed Multiverse of Madness if it was truly felt like a Raimi movie and it didn't feel like it was so bogged down by the weight of the universe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Shang-Chi, pretty uh, disconnected, and I quite enjoyed it as like a two or three, you know, spots, which I think is a, a way to do that, I think is to uh, include two or three characters that kind of converge on a story and they're parts of the other things. Um, I think that's when Marvel was really working for me, when it was evident that it was connected, but they were uh, still telling kind of uh, uh, stories that seemed to conclude within themselves. Um, when it got too yeah. close to Endgame, in a way, I was like, well, that's that's just too much for me. Like, this, right. this is a television show now. Yeah, and that kind of 
actually goes into a question that we've got in our our email. So if you want to, if you're if you've got anything else to say about Thor: Love and Thunder, we can well, move on. I suppose like one more thing about like the reliability and what's brought in. The Guardians of the Galaxy were with Thor the last time we met him, and they're kind of represented early in the film. I thought that I could have used more of them. I would have liked to see more of the crossover happen. Yeah, it was interesting. Like I think that's such an interesting sort of teaming up and i think they do have great like chemistry together and i think i enjoy it feels like the the taika universes and the gun universes like really match together really well (laughs) so it makes perfect sense but i'm kind of like on the fence in terms of if i wanted them to be in it more and you know i like guardians a lot but i'm like do would that have then just felt like another you know team movie and we have maybe too many of those or am i glad that they appeared and were there and then you know <laughs> were able to leave early there's uh, the bit where he's like yeah make a eye contact with the person so, <laughs> so you know they really love him and he's just <laughs> avoiding Thor's eyes and Chris Hemsworth just uh, I think plays it really well here I yeah. think this is the movie uh, Chris Hemsworth originally sought out Taika Waititi because he wanted to make this kind of Thor after his two like uh, two way too dark movies that preceded it but um, I, I think he works really well in that structure too yeah, it's, it is interesting to have like this franchise of Thor movies that feels like two different franchises. Like it's a <laughs> continuous storyline, but the these third and fourth movies feel like their own standalone thing that don't have anything yeah. to do with those first two, which just have no style or nothing to really write home about. Okay, I only have two more things before the no, mail. I promise. <laughs> uh, which will be. Um, since you say that, there's two and then two, and I think Taika Waititi may be done. I think you should probably go make other movies for a while. Oh, I, I think, think so his too. next goal wins is coming up next year, this year. Um, so he's already have, has another movie project, and I think uh, I think he's kind of done what he needs. I feel like this is a more of a final yeah. statement on Ragnarok. So I think so too. I, I I don't think I would want him to just keep making them because I think you know there's only so much you can get out of these ideas and i think this already mm-hmm. in some ways does feel like it just sort of echoes a lot of ragnarok and some of it works and some of it doesn't and i think another one would probably be too much so i don't know if i'll be interested to see what they do next with with thor and who they might give it to if, <laughs> if he's done with them it would make me nervous if it ended up going back to being really boring but i think that would be yeah. definitely big shoes to fill for whoever gets that next yeah i don't know who that i mean I don't know how you go back to Grimdark right. Thor or or just like basic Norse mythology Thor. So boring. Um, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> one of the things I like about this movie is how often it laughs at like Norse mythology after the Northmen, a movie I really loved. Uh, kind of having a less serious take within the yeah. same year was uh, a little bit of levity helped me a lot. Um, rather than just like a boy, like a... a uh, walking around like a dog farting in like, that's, uh, <laughs> Norse mythology to, to absorb the spirits of the seer. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's funnier that everyone denies like the the ideas of Valhalla. They're like, is that really that that worthwhile? And you know, Thor's kind of up against his own mythology, so right. I think that like seeking of um, approval from other people and figuring out whether your mythology is even good is a, is yeah. a good thing for Marvel to kind of contend with with its heroes. I think they should. I, I wrote very sarcastically in my headline. I'm like, they should keep making these. But I think what I mean by these is movies that are self-reflective about like what yeah. their place and development of the heroes are in Marvel movies. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that even though I feel like gore is maybe not used quite correctly, like I think mm-hmm. the idea of 
of what he represents, I guess, like in that sense, like that he does force Thor to think about his status as a god and like to to actually have that conversation. I think so there's a lot of interesting ideas there that this film does use some of and doesn't use some of, but I, I certainly think that more things should be should be doing that. And my my I guess my last comment is a short one, just that I. Um, whenever Ezra pretends to be a superhero, she always has to tie it with like a identity. Like, a, well, she watches a lot of shows where like uh, young women or girls or ponies are assigned magical powers, and yeah. uh, they all have elemental powers. And uh, hers is always love. So uh, when uh, <laughs> when the girl comes out with uh, Thor from their little uh, new uh, RV park home, and, <laughs> you know they're cooking pancakes, yeah. and and he says it's a uh, love and thunder are like their names I, yeah. I got like chills in the theater because i knew this was like a an ezra concept like i knew that uh she would project herself onto that girl and think like that's yeah. what i do so when sweet. i play heroes like finally i saw something in right that reminded me of my daughter in one of these movies and if they're not reminding me of how children up are at play then i don't i don't know what their usefulness is uh, i think that's great yeah no i mean it's a great character and yeah it's, it's such a great like name for like them as like a unit and I, I like what that sort of represents i guess like i think a lot of the you know we talked sort of ad nauseum of about the way that the mcu has handled female characters but mm-hmm. you know it's like are that many people looking up to black widow as an interesting character it's like maybe no. not but maybe a, a fun character that is called love and has cool powers you know <laughs> yeah like I, a more I interesting think, uh... I think the women haven't been allowed to have as much fun as exactly. the male characters do. I mean, even, you know, Black Widow is like that kind of, um, I mean, it's kind of a secondary Captain America Winter Soldier yeah. storyline. It's not like a unique thing where it's like, it's not empowering to be right. Black Widow. It's yeah, kind it's, of it's being... very militaristic and just kind of, it's just not that, not an interesting character that you can do a whole lot with. It's very dark and grim, you know. I think that movie was the end of their militarism. I think I can I think place so. a bet. Yeah. I'm like hedging my bets that that is the last time they're going to touch that kind of material. Because uh, that was horrible. Um, <laughs> there's <Yeah>. a, <laughs> I mean, when Ezra plays, she names every character love. Um, and I think that's just how a young girl thinks. Like They, they yeah. see love and they want that reflected to them back on the screen. I think that's uh, just the most wonderful thing Marvel's done in many years for me. So very yeah, happy it's... about the ending. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's that just even as like an emotion is something that I think that Marvel has failed to do so many times. So to see it <laughs> represented more interestingly and, and actually sort of being in conversation with the movie, I think is great. And meanwhile, like the um, queer coded themes have kind of been like shoehorned in as just like, you know, asides before, yeah. but um, making them an integral part of the humor, yeah. I think is really uh effective here like i i laughed at most of those in a positive way i i didn't feel bad about right it. Um, yeah 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 and definitely... i mean there's <laughs> sorry no go ahead uh th- i mean there's also like female gays like i mean chris hemsworth yeah. like is stripped of everything and i think there's you know there's something else here that i think is special yeah i definitely like the way that that taika plays that like he he definitely has those ideas and knows how to represent them in like a more progressive way and i like that they do that with valkyrie's character and um even korg like (laughs) i love that like (laughs) i think korg the most maybe yeah yeah yeah, absolutely Uh, like he's got two dads and then he he gets his own (laughs) partner at the end whose name is Dwayne, which i just keep thinking about and i think is genuinely a great joke (laughs) 
and I think people have sex in this movie. I mean, they're not on screen, but I think the characters fuck. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, <laughs> I do know the what characters you mean, yeah. are genuinely. Uh, you know what I mean about yeah, uh, characters it's, fucking. I mean, it's, their, uh... it's the energy of it. You know, like the yeah, it understands that you know the characters as you know people who exist have sexuality, which is something that I think a lot of the other <laughs> movies try to just erase entirely. I think that's so important. I think it's a, a small thing, but I think it I think it could develop into a bigger thing in these movies. I'd like to see a, a lot more of that rather than pretending they're humans are asexual, right. which is yeah. a very weird thing to make twenty seven movies and for me to suddenly feel like there's exactly. a sexual character. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with them? <laughs> I totally agree with that. That's yeah. No, that's a great thing to to talk about. No, I think yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. No, I feel I feel good about the discussion. If you if you want to move forward, but yeah. I, I had to get those things. No, I, those were those were good notes. I yeah, I think we both like Thor: Love and Thunder a lot. So I think I'm a little bit higher. Maybe I, I have it. I have it up pretty high there. Seven yeah. out of ten is higher than I thought it would ever come out. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I have my problems with it, but like I said, like I, it sure. does so much more than than most anything I've seen recently in this universe, and I appreciate yeah. it a lot. And it's it's fun. I mean, that's that's the important thing, really. I guess before the emails, do you feel like it? How do you weigh it? Um, let's weigh the this whole phase. Where do you weigh it among these other movies that've been in this phase? Oh, in the newest phase, I think this is by far the best. I would say, even okay. as as bold as to say that, I think probably Shang Chi would be behind that. Which I I do like Shang Chi, but I think that I the third act is way too much and kind of ruins what could have been a more interesting aesthetic to me. But I actually do have more to say about Shang Chi in our email segment, so. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so let's, let's do some listener mail. First. Uh, any uh, <laughs> any listeners that uh, that we haven't heard from in a while? Yeah, we've got a, a message from just this fan, Stephen, um, who oh my we, God. we haven't heard from before. So this is a new friend of the show here. Uh, I thought he was. I thought he was going to be on the show. I thought this was my time to shine, and I thought that he was like uh, just stepping away and oh, he couldn't letting me have some spotlight. Uh, Stephen will do everything to be in every show, no matter what. But I'm actually here, so again, full ownership. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, you're the I'm. <laughs> so he says, "Hi, spoiler and usurper, non non time listened, first time emailer, usual co-host." So we're back with Marvel, huh? I feel a sense of fatigue even writing the word now as it conjures up the dreaded initialism MCU. Ms. Marvel aside, which actively benefits from being in the MCU, this whole thing has become a weight and a problem. It has homogenized these works and at this stage is going to start putting people off. I've had several conversations where people have said they can't keep up, don't want to feel like they have to, and therefore feel like they can't or just won't go see the new movies. Surely, or maybe this is just wish fulfillment, this thing has to stop. What I would really love is a standalone superhero movie again. A story about one of these characters that is actually just about one of these characters not carrying on wider lore and mythology and not a small piece that has to fit into a large generic puzzle. So my two questions. What of the MCU properties would you like to see get the standalone reboot treatment ignoring Spider-Man because we have that Spider-Verse going on? And why? And any details about what you'd want it to be would be swell. So let's do that first. What would you like to see as a standalone Marvel hero film? Is it 
Okay, it has to be rebooted, or is that the? Uh, I think that's maybe the idea of what he's what he's getting at here. So it can't be a new hero because I think we've discussed a few that are potentially interesting to see. Like we get Hercules at the end; that's that's very interesting. Uh, but I think at the end of the MCU, I think Thor is the standalone character that is from the original bunch that's most marketable and most interesting on the screen. Uh, I think there's other characters there that could still be made some use of. I I think especially. Uh, Hulk didn't quite get his movie that was just him yeah, in the last phase. Like, he got the Incredible Hulk, which was kind of the start of the criticism of Marvel, which is Edward Norton wanted to take it over for a final cut, and they quite wouldn't quite let him, and that was their first public embattlement. Of course, we've <laughs> had, like, the Edgar Wright, and then the Scarlett Johansson, yeah. and the um, uh, Patty Jenkins of it all since then. But uh, that was the first time there was a crack, and it was very early on. Right. Since then, they've been very good at covering those. Um <laughs> So I think I think finally Hulk deserves something else. I think there's maybe it's either an inkling or it's an end of a road, which is Shang Chi. He shows up and he's just normal Bruce Banner. He's not um, smart Hulk, which is I mean that yeah. was a fun thing, but <laughs> but that was a fun thing for other people's movies. Like that was right. not a. I don't think that was a central character that could have worked. I think that was a fun supporting cast member, and I think. Um, just looking through like this Marvel thing that I've subscribed to now. <laughs> Am I a Marvel subscriber? Um, this Marvel Universe uh, thing. I've been just looking kind of at what's going on with Hulk especially. And uh, it seems like there's still some energy there that uh, is in like uh, the Immortal Hulk is the name of a on-running okay. series since 2018. Which is said to take like the most risk with this character and it's like the most inventive he's ever been and is a good examination of like the two face, two sidedness of yeah. when you look in the mirror, who do you see is kinda like the the first three that I've read is kinda like their premise. It's like you look in the mirror and you see two people, who are you gonna be? Uh, I thought that was a really interesting way to go. I know that might be passe, like we had the a Hulk television show, uh, which was, uh, I think, the best representation of the character as like a leader of his thing, the Ed, Ed Norton movie. I mean, nobody even talks about that in the yeah, MCU. It doesn't even feel like it's an MCU movie because it was. I, I I think it was made before they kind of had that idea, and then that okay was the, that stuff was okay. sort of shoehorned into it at the end. I believe was kind of the the thing, but I started watching no, these four point. years ago. By the way, <laughs> uh, oh, you didn't start at the beginning. I mean, I, I watched everything, but I, I started, um, you know, I saw Iron Man, I saw the Spider-Man in yeah. theater, but uh, I, I didn't keep up with it till I, I started the website. And oh, I knew I had to. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm hard doing it out of yeah. obligation. <laughs> it does feel like that, which is unfortunate. Although I was I was genuinely yeah. excited about, about Thor, but yeah. Me too. Um, uh, what do you have, man? It's, uh... I, I, I mean, genuinely, I was looking, and I, I think it's hard to sort of pick those heroes that we've seen so much from because I think mm-hmm. there's, you know, a level of fatigue, but I think I really, my answer is Shang-Chi because I think okay. it is like a standalone movie, but because it's in the universe, there's so much of that, that, you know, like I said, like ultimately I think really weighs down the movie. And it's like, if it was just its own thing and we were able to just get a fun Shang-Chi movie where they just made it like, a cool like wuxia martial arts movie that would be yeah. awesome because I, I i love the first you know two acts of shang chi where it is that and there are those ideas and it feels like a unique voice of of this 
martial arts stuff and then mm-hmm. it ends it, it turns into a marvel movie <laughs> at the end where you've got giant dragons and it just becomes super uninteresting to me because it's this sort of cgi slog and you're bringing back characters from iron man 3 who are quickly insufferable and <laughs> yeah that's fair so yeah I, I think i think to me that would be a much more interesting movie if, if there was something that was a little bit smaller and you could just do a hero like that where it's small stakes and it's martial arts stuff and I think doesn't have to uh, be part of this whole thing yeah i think like the the reboot thing might <sighs> well you got to reboot captain marvel i think i think uh but I don't think that movie worked at all, and it needs a, another shot. Yeah. They'll do that. Um, that's not what I want, but that's one that they will do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like. Will they? I, I, I imagine that there is. There has to. I, I, at least I imagine that there has to be something interesting about that character, but that movie, you know, sells you so short of anything worthwhile that it's like, I don't think I want to see. <laughs> I don't want to see that again. What is there? What is that character, you know? able to give me if it was you know more interesting movie i'm not sure if i want to see that but maybe someone else could tell me what the interest in, in that character is yeah um yeah i mean uh howard the duck uh, <laughs> that would be I'd, I'd rather see that than probably most of what the mc is doing these i just days. thought it was very insensitive the first time i think they need to reboot it but taika <laughs> watiti or james gunn on the howard the duck and see what happens I think James Gunn probably would absolutely love to make a Howard the Duck movie. <laughs> I would love for him to also. Uh, I mean, I don't like that movie. Again, just uh, things that should happen because they're interesting and weird. Uh, yeah, I don't really need to see any other reboots. Like I say, I want the Hulk because I don't think he's got his time. But uh, Yeah, I, I mean, I think reboots, I, I think I just ultimately, I'm like, I've seen these characters and I'm tired of them. Yeah. I think more than reboots, like my ultimate wish would be as someone that is not a comics fan, like if they can get away from that universe stuff and, and, and let these movies actually feel really unique and standalone, then start giving me these obscure characters that I maybe don't know and make interesting movies with them rather than, than these whole universe things. That's what I really want to see. Yeah, for sure. Which I guess is kind of like what Guardians initially was. Like nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. And <laughs> yeah. if anything, I feel like everyone was very much doubting that movie of like it's a movie with a raccoon like what is this that i i'm going to see and then you know it ended up being so popular and people liked it so much and like do more of that i i don't i keep not expecting to like guardians of the galaxy but every time i see them i seem to quite enjoy them like i played the video game and i was like yeah what's this it's just like a basic third person shooter it's fucking great though it's i mean it's like extremely polished Uh, a lot of the music that you expect from that era I, i mean uh fun team stuff like binary domain a game everyone's talking about Um, (laughs) yeah i I mean i think that yeah there's just interesting characters to build off of so i think that it's nice to see that the game has been so popular and i need to i need to check it out myself but it's like i guess it kind of proves that like just baseline those are interesting characters that are that are easy to do something fun with yeah and kind of like as a last stand of uh, maybe that's too industry specific, but Square Enix is like last stand of like Crystal Dynamics and like those uh, uh, IDOS and their sub studios uh, making interesting yeah. things outside of Tomb Raider. Um, uh, they they had made like a Avengers game that I guess was popular but oh, sold man, well. I forgot about that. Yeah. I guess it wasn't that deep, but uh, they right. they seem to have 
plugged into something where Marvel the last three years has had interesting representations, whereas DC hasn't had a good hero game since the Batman trilogy. Really. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I really need to need to check out that game. Um, yeah. Second part Guardians, of the question. Yeah. Um, question two. Again, I think Ms. Marvel benefits from being in a wider universe and actually feels in conversation with it rather than beholden to it. Are there any other films in the MCU that you think have benefited from this structure, specifically in this later period when it has become such a large thing? I feel early on that it was merely background, so those films don't count as much. What do you think about that? No? Nothing really that that comes to mind there? I think it's a hard question because it... um... I mean, the way it's worded, you could only choose from recent films, yeah. uh, and Miss Marvel's not working on that same structure to me, so it's... Yeah, I, and I mean, I was looking through, and I was like, I don't think that I really have any good answer for this. I don't know if anything, especially particularly Phase 4, looking at that, like, I don't think that there's really anything that necessarily benefits from being in a universe um, in a positive way. I mean, maybe to minor degrees, but I think ultimately you still remove that stuff and you get a better movie. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Loki, he uh, uh, ends up single-handedly creating the multiverse. That's a, That seems to be a directional thing where these are all going, and uh, that seems correlated to some of the stuff in Doctor Strange. And, yeah, I don't, and know. I don't know enough about Loki, but people seem to like yeah. that show, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't really um, care. I'm not gonna watch it. <laughs> I looked up the <laughs> ending just to be. I looked up the ending of all these I haven't watched just to be sure about this question. Uh, yeah, so I I don't know. I don't have like a good answer to this question. I did look. I, I I think I mean maybe you talk about something like Guardians where that movie does a good job of sort of introducing Thanos as a background character in that movie and like he was the the villain sort of above who right. they were fighting yeah. and. So it introduces that character in the background in a way that he's at, that then sets him up to become something greater in the universe. But yeah, and there's still the leftover Gamora of it all in in Love and Thunder. I mean, that's still continuing with, yeah. with that setup. Yeah, uh, I don't think so though. Not in Phase Four. I think Miss Marvel's the very clear uh, uh, winner of this category. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really indicative of just where sort of these movies are at it's it's like i think they need to just pick a direction you need to either go fully start setting up something again and and make it all another cohesive build-up even if that wasn't your original plan or just say fuck it and drop all of that and let these all just kind of be their own thing yeah i don't think they'll do either but (laughs) no i don't think they will and i think that's a shame i think that i think for the movies they are probably leaning toward more self-containment at least at the moment yeah uh, as we say, like you, I think you get one movie at the start of a phase each, and then the second movies will all kind of blend right. into each other. Like I think each character effectively gets their one movie, and then the second movie uh, starts to blend it, and then the third has to pay it off. So I think it's hard, like after the third phase, because we finally got a conclusion, and then we're like, yeah, but what now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I think especially like you said, like you get these. We've got a, gotten sort of the first wave of these, and and where is it going to go from here? You know, I think especially now it seems like there's a lot on the slate that should be really standalone. And I think probably isn't and is going to end up being bogged down by stuff. I mean, Deadpool's not good in the first place, I think. <laughs> oh God, from, are they but, making more? But yeah, they. I mean, they're making a Deadpool 3 and oh, they, they talked about it being 
they're not going to water it down or anything, but I think that they're still going to, you know, bring it into the, the universe in, I'm sure, very insufferable ways. Okay, I, so I think, what's... Yeah. What else is left? I think uh, uh, Quantumania could have a good chance. I think Ant-Man's a character that I would, yeah, would like I, rebooted for the first question. I love Ant-Man. That's a, that's a good point. I think so, too. I think uh, uh, Fantastic Four is really what they're banking on for like their yeah. inclusion. I think it's all setting something up where I don't think these movies are paying off individually because I think that uh, somewhere in like Fantastic Four, they're going to start bringing in the elements of these movies and they will pay off like in a future thing. Yeah. If that I, makes sense. I hope so. But it seems like, yeah, like there's not enough of it. Like they're really putting <laughs> in these minor things that might get pulled forward in the future, but maybe it's not important enough to, to matter. <laughs> Would you say a, uh, She-Hulk had a, a good um, interconnectivity with the original Sonic trailer. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not not too excited about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're uh, redoing that because they don't have a vision for their movies, and uh, they just right. like uh, workshop this uh, to um, tech teams who are on crunch uh, year yeah. year long crunches and are probably under abusive working conditions and oh, uh, we sure. shouldn't be enjoying these and eating popcorn, but, uh, um, yeah, it's feeling too real. <laughs> Secret invasion. I don't know what that is. Ironheart. I don't know what that is. Armor Wars. Wow. Never heard of it. I don't know what any um, of this is. So maybe potential <laughs> there, but maybe just not going to be good at all. <laughs> I don't know. Those are all shows, I believe. Oh, okay. I think, uh, so yeah, uh, quantum mania and then fantastic four and Captain Marvel two, uh, Black Panther two, um, Blade. These I'm are very, all names in movies. Yeah, I, I'm very interested in Blade, but that's another one where I'm like, are you going to let it be more standalone and let it be what it should be, which is kind of violent and chaotic? But I don't think they will, which is unfortunate because I like Mahershala Ali a lot. But oh yeah, we'll see. Mahershala. I guess yeah, it has potential, but I think they'll fuck it up even with I, Mahershala. Yeah. I don't know what that'll make it... is attached, but. Probably nobody that I'm particularly excited about. <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. That's a lot of movies left for one phase. I'm surprised this is right. one phase because if you look at the combined thing, you have what um, probably at least two or three, you know, at least two phases worth of prior material. There, yeah. That's that's kind of the thing is like each phase is just getting bigger and bigger as the whole franchise keeps getting bigger and bigger, and it's not really a good thing because then it just at some point it's all going to just collapse and be a mess i mean i think we're pretty much there but i mean it can only get worse <laughs> we're at 28 movies and yeah. phase four i'm counting now is comprised of 25 different properties <laughs> i oh, mean that's yeah, that's, that's almost doubling the entire amount yeah. within one phase so i don't know like if there's i don't, I don't think it makes sense at, at some point for these to keep connecting i think uh, yeah. things like miss marvel are a good way to do it because uh i want people to go watch those shows about uh you know more diverse superheroes i just yeah like i say i haven't watched better call saul or atlanta so i'm not gonna watch it <laughs> <laughs> right no i totally agree uh so i don't think we had a great answer for your question Stephen, but um, i hope we we hope we did our best um so he says also thanks for reading my electronic mail Love and Thunder from your pal Stephen, last name withheld. We don't know. It could be any Stephen, <laughs> yeah. uh, friend of the show. Um, and then we have a follow-up email also from Stephen. Uh, hi, <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. You didn't tell me there was a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> How many I, are there? 
just these two from Steven. I almost okay. didn't want to read this. It would probably be better off not being read, but I have made my decision to read every email. <laughs> Hi, me again. Here's an example of something I would have said if I was on the podcast and proof that it is better off without me. <laughs> Everybody always says Taika YTT, but nobody ever asks Taika how TT. Um, <laughs> which is something Steven would say and yes. um, something I have no response to as I would also if Steven were here so we're just going to move he, on from that one and leave well it I know he also <laughs> kind of wants you to like summarize his thoughts on the movie do you want to do that quickly do you, oh, yeah, do you did, know how to do that, that. Um, I think actually like us he, he does like the movie and, and I'm glad that, that he likes it I, I think his review is fantastic and I will link it in here so that everybody can can get his thoughts even though he's not here today but yeah I think he speaks to it really well about the the film having these great ideas of like we have and and tying it into specifically what we have experienced as a collective people in these last few years and like in the universe they experience this sort of thing of like loss and like how they're dealing with that and it feels like that's what all of these should have been about post endgame but finally this is a movie where it's actually talking about it and now it can actually kind of speak to us in a way and I think that's great. Like, and I think that's totally true. Like this idea that it's actually dealing with, with real emotions and things rather than, than just these, these giant events. Uh Um, And certainly Stephen also believes it has its problems as it does. Um, But that he he likes it. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely read Stephen's review. Um, He talks a lot about it and it's really good. And now, Uh, I've got an email from David. Dear spoilers and guest. <laughs> You're just guest to David. I okay. don't know how that feels to you. I'm not I'm, uh, <laughs> uh, but I know. Well, I'm like the editor-in-chief in the site, and I'm, yeah, I'm the Twin Geeks podcast with him, so I, feel, <laughs> I don't feel like, I mean, are you guys, like, technically my guest? On, like, are you guys on the <laughs> podcast network? I don't know. I'm not I'm, though. I'm your spoiling things, I guess. <laughs> Terrible how this how events have unfolded. Um. Y'all must really love these Marvel things, because what is this? The third one you've covered so far? Hope this one is better than the last two. It is the third one we've covered, and it is better than the last two. I feel like we're, we, it's kind of unavoidable. I don't know how we ended up missing Spider-Man, but... That's, uh, well, uh, maybe for the best. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, this is much better than... Um, I would say it's better than Eternals and Doctor Strange combined. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for me. I- I think I'd agree. Uh, I don't think it's. Uh, I think it's a low bar, but um, yeah. Taika Waititi alone being installed in the project, I think, clears that bar pretty handily. Yeah. Uh, first question is for Vaughn. What would a different but equally important band choice be as a substitute for Guns N' Roses in Thor: Love and Thunder, and which songs would be included on the soundtrack? Uh, great question. I like this question a lot. Um, we didn't really talk about it. I think the Guns N' Roses placement in the movie is almost weird to a degree. Like, there's mm-hmm. almost too much of it. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> funny because the Ragnarok, the big hook is you never hear Led Zeppelin. They're so hard to license their songs. Right. So they use Immigrant Song twice. Like, they're getting their, <laughs> yeah, it's just their the money's song. worth. Because Led Zeppelin will never let anyone do it. There's, like, three or four movies where they've yeah. like, given permission. I wonder if Immigrant Song just kind of went into their, like, songs that they will let people use after School of Rock. Yeah. They're like, okay, this one's out there, so now it's okay, but you can't I, have anything else. Yeah, like, Jack Black had to write him a letter, like, begging to let let him use, like, 
yeah, and there's, in there. they also there's a video like they filmed when they were filming the Battle of the Bands. Like they were, they filmed the whole movie without getting permission, so they filmed that whole Battle of the Bands scene. And he <laughs> got all the extras to like plead to Led Zeppelin to let them use the that's song. That's right. Yeah, that's what. <laughs> yeah, the story, great. Uh, great story. Um, I think it's the same for Taika Waititi. You really have to beg, and uh, it's yeah. not as special to do, use Guns and Roses there and everything. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like it's, and it's just weird because it's like you hear it, it, the movie kind of starts off with like a great "Welcome to the Jungle" needle drop, which I do love, but then it just keeps using Guns N' Roses, and I'm like, okay. And then there's a character that's like, "My name's Axel because I like rock music," and I'm like, okay. Maybe funny a little again. Too much. <laughs> funny again because it's rejecting the, uh, I guess, like the mythology of the Norse thing and the kids yeah. saying, "I gave up my, you know, Nordic name to become Axel." And- yeah, I mean, yeah, like I like the idea of it. I think just, yeah. it was like a little too much Guns and Roses, and I'm like, is this like is this movie sponsored by Guns and Roses? Um, Do you think uh, is either Thor a basic dude, or is Taika Waititi just the most basic music uh, uh, enjoyer of all time? Oh, I think it's Taika. I think probably. Do you just, think Taika? Yeah, I think he's just a big fan of that kind of stuff. Yeah, he which, seems like he would like boring music. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is fine. I mean, that's. If that's what you like, I'm I'm all about it. But I I think I ultimately I prefer James Gunn doing these like curated mixes that have stuff that I maybe haven't heard as much. Are Guns N' Roses boring in 2022? Um, I think it depends on the context. Maybe. Um, I liked another. It's actually weird that I've seen two movies this year that have a Welcome <laughs> to the Jungle needle drop, but um, the movie Ahead's Knee. Uh, also has a great welcome to the jungle moment and i think that's used probably much more much well ugh, I, much better is, is probably what i would say about that movie um but yeah i don't know mm-hmm. um but to answer this question what would i substitute for guns and roses um i'm going with rush i want to pick for this movie yeah i want to i want a marvel movie where they use a bunch of rush songs i like rush a lot um i've got mm-hmm. four songs here i think also these two songs kind of work with with what this movie is talking about if you go with limelight and free will kind of these these movies about or not movies these songs about like uh being a star i guess and and that kind of thing and then like agency in this universe um but then also just great songs being i also included yyz and then i feel like they would have to drop tom sawyer in there mm-hmm. yeah i mean tom you have to right yeah so. <laughs> tom sawyer uh, yeah, I guess like limelight. Uh, Tom Sawyer is best used in like The Water Boy. I think is a it's cinematic highlight. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If, I haven't actually seen The Water Boy. So but you can get that license. It's been in Family Guy and The Water Boy. Oh, I'm Boy sure. Is, uh, yeah, I don't I think Rush is that. too stingy with their music. Just not enough people are using Rush. They should be because they're very cinematic and uh, yeah, I think interesting. so. Yeah, I'm a huge Rush fan. That would have uh, been cooler to like do the so. aesthetic around rush i think you'd get to ragnarok levels then maybe i think so i agree i think yeah i think guns and roses i like those songs but it doesn't feel super inspired you know as far as the choice of, of music well their best songs patience and the best version of patience is by chris cornell so i don't care <laughs> <laughs> that's a very seattleite answer <laughs> it is um I love it. One of them's from Seattle. Uh, Duff is is from Seattle. He's a Seattleite oh, okay. in Guns N' Roses. 
I didn't know that. That's, that's all my trivia. I have. Hey, Arnold <laughs> is uh, based in Seattle. Have you heard of him? <laughs> a fact we've learned and are all baffled by. <laughs> uh, because it seems like uh, Stoops, New York. Uh, it seems like there's it a does, Coney yeah. Island episode. Uh, Never yeah, felt uh, like that to me. Feels like the water's also like you know ge- geographically on the east of them. So yeah. It's a very confusing world. We live in. <laughs> but uh, Seattle's a peninsula. Water could be anywhere. So that's uh, true. Um, so. Now, a question for you. Explain to me a scenario in which, I'm, a, I'm sure that I'm going to butcher this, <laughs> uh, sleep near the eight-legged horse child of Loki and also Odin Steed could make his appropriate and logical MCU de- debut. I, I'm sorry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought that you might know anything about sleep okay. near, um, but I don't know anything about it. Is that like a Marvel character? I don't. It sounds like it's maybe a like a Norse mythology character. Okay, yeah, maybe I'm just like missing the uh, the <laughs> Norse mythology of it all. My wife is really the expert here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Basic Norse mythology I'm missing is uh, yes, I've seen this character. I should probably know about it. It's. Uh, I like. I'm, I looked it up. I'm liking some of these artists' renditions of this yeah. eight-legged steed. It's cool. Yeah. Um, would you say that a. Uh, is there room for sleep near when you have the goats? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, we or... got screaming goats instead, and I kind of love the screaming goats a lot. So, I don't so know maybe, if I want uh, sleep near. Maybe if you have to, to answer Stephen and David's question, I think you have to <laughs> reboot the goats into their own movies and sleep near is the, the arch Stand- villain. Standalone sleep near movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there screaming go. goats for sleep near is the, is the next Thanos. I love that. Um... Lastly, a question for Steven, even though he isn't here this week. I know he's listening. <laughs> you better be listening, Steven. Now he has a reason to listen. Um, Steven, I would like you to order the directors of... I'd like you to order for me the directors of every MCU film based on the quality of their output outside the Marvel <laughs> machine. I expect zero uh, bias and complete objectivity in this exercise. Please deliver the results in the following episode. Love and Thunder, David. <laughs> So Love look you, forward David, to that but, uh, on, on the next episode. David likes to create work for you guys. I've noticed in his <laughs> yes, questions. He <laughs> I mean, he made everyone else watch Fountainhead on the stacks. I think he loves just uh, <laughs> being like a chaos monger. But love David so much. Thanks, David. Yeah, thank you for for another email. Um, and our last email here from Fru. Um, welcome back Fantastic. to the show, Fru. Salutation spoilers. Let's get right down to it because I only have one. In honor of Calvin, I'd love for the spoilers to play a round of dads and daddies. Please assign the appropriate titles to the principal cast of Thor Love and Thunder. Cheat sheet. Ladies are also welcome to be daddies. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I feel like uh, just to start... I feel like it's very obvious that Christian Bale has dad energy. I mean, he's he's in it yeah. for his daughter's sake, and he's, uh, you know, I mean, he's really going to go kill all the gods because of the loss of his daughter. I think yeah, that's it. no, that's I, I think Gore, like, Gore's definitely got dad energy. I agree with yeah. that. I think yeah, the I same think... of, I think the same of Korg. I feel like Korg's okay. a, kind of a dad. Uh, like, he's very dad jokey to me, you know, like he's that he's, character. Uh, I think he's think a daddy, daddy in the in the gay community. I think. Uh, oh, that's a good is, point. I think he's that's a, a good peak point. daddy for the gays. I, I don't think a, a daddy has to be straight. I think a daddy can be any Absolutely. kind of uh, I won't persuasion. There. I think it's very important for a uh, core to be a daddy. I You're think right. it's a. I mean, Corgan Dwayne. 
I feel I feel like there's even Corgan Dwayne jokes that kind of imply <laughs> that his daddiness. Uh, maybe is he peak dad? Are we making a ranking here? Um, <laughs> I, I guess okay, we could. So, okay, so we have uh, Korg is peak daddy. Uh, uh, it okay. doesn't work because we have to decide daddy or dad. We can't quite rank them, right? But uh, let's say Korg's true. peak daddy, and then uh, Gorg. They they all they all sound the same. Gore and Korg are yeah. peak daddy <laughs> and dads. Uh, where's Hemsworth? Is he a in betweener? Would you say? Uh, I, I I put I would put Thor and Daddy. I think. Okay, you would. I would. Um, I mean, like if they're kind of a god and you have you know, but uh, maybe not in this movie. I think he might be uh, more of a dad. I think he's becoming think a so? father. Yeah, I think he's That's really true. dealing with yeah. his uh, reflecting on his past, and um, I I think he has modes. I think he has both modes available to him. Well, I like that. I like what we've got going then for the daddy's category. I think in that case, if the way we're defining it, I think we got to put Valkyrie in that category as well. Yeah, I think Tessa Thompson was born a daddy. So Absolutely. Um, I I love Tessa Thompson, and I think oh, she has too, prime yeah. daddy energy. If I if I could have a daddy, it would be Tessa Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're I'm glad we have that soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that going to be inserted uh, future episode somewhere? <laughs> you need a soundboard. I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'll have that now forever. It's great. Um, I oh, think that's as good of a Wait, <laughs> as good I of think a categorization. I, how about the screaming goats? Are they? <laughs> we can put the screaming goats in daddies. I think. Okay, you you think so? They. I think I so. Mean, sure. <laughs> what, what, what difference does it make? <laughs> right, uh, um, Stormbreaker or uh, Mjolnir? Which which is a daddy? Which is a dad? I think I have to say Mjolnir. I mean, he goes above and beyond in this movie. He shatters apart and uses that for further Wait, strength. Does that make him a dad or a daddy? I think it feels like daddy. I feel like Stormbreaker is kind of just quiet and yeah, he's more reserved like in this a... movie. Maybe like a he's in like a sad dad movie that yeah Stephen exactly like yeah <laughs> since since the, these movies have now really given personalities to the weapons Natalie Portman dad yeah I think so I would agree with that Natalie Thorman Thorman <laughs> dad dad energy yeah. no daddy energy she's not yeah um, I don't think so yeah I think like you go to Valhalla you're you're dead you're you're dead you don't you're not gonna you're not fucking anymore so you. Can't. <laughs> I mean, you can be a dad and a daddy. I think that's the most important thing to highlight is that Crims- I mean, Hemsworth might win based on his ability to fulfill both. Uh, yeah, to become think... Fat Thor, uh, Dad Bob Thor, and to become like this uh, sculpted uh, uh, god of a, of a human being. <laughs> the ultimate um, dad-daddy arc. <laughs> I think, uh, how about the new uh, Hercules? How are we feeling uh, about Brett? I think he's pretty daddy. I, I think, uh, I'll, I'll go. Uh, I'll believe. It, I'll believe your take on that. I don't think I have enough of an opinion on him as a as a person. I think he'll. I think Hercules. Well, Hercules is more. Uh, let's put him in son. I think he's. I don't think he's quite a dad. <laughs> it's a good point. I think it's, he's, I think he's son really of, of Zeus, who I think we need to rank as. Uh, that's that's a confusing one. Zeus in here. Russell Crowe. Do we even include, discuss? I think I'm just not gonna. Yeah, I think that performance is. Uh, I think beyond borderline offensive, so it's just bad. Um, offensive so I, to dads. I'm not going to include it. Uh, not dad wise. Um, probably offensive to Greeks, I would assume. But would you say dads are a targeted group? I feel like they've been portrayed badly in films for many years. I think so. I, a vulnerable yeah. group. 
Well, I think we're getting it's like a dad renaissance <laughs> right now. You know, we're getting more yeah. vulnerable, kind dad characters, which is nice. So I think Russell Crowe. I don't think we. I don't think we can sort him. I think he's left out he's of the unranked. He's unranked neither. father character. <laughs> neither. I mean, he's he just is father. a dad. He's a dad that wants to be a daddy, and I think that's yeah. the worst kind of combination you could be. <laughs> I mean, you're either one or the other. Or you you know you need to embrace your role. Like a, oh, for sure. Yeah, I've gone from daddy to dad myself. I'm uh, I'm very happy. <laughs> I think that's what happens, right? Like you. I think so. You, yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to be fucking to really become a, a father. You have <laughs> biological proof of your. Maybe our best segment yet is this question right here. I feel like you have too many sound drops in me in this <laughs> one. And I don't know. If I uh, if I continue any further, it's uh, going to be a. <laughs> well, then let's let's move on. I think everywhere. that was probably the best answer to that question. Wait, we could have so is, is there anyone we didn't rank? Is there a, is there an important? I don't think no, so. I think, I think that's that's really the main the main cast. There's you know you could go further to people that don't matter as much in this movie. You know. Yeah. What about Gore's daughter? She... <laughs> I don't know if I would put her in either category there. Would mom? Well, we're not gonna call her mommy because she's like a five-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that would you know. be weird. <laughs> that would be very strange. <laughs> uh, so Tessa Thompson's my daddy of choice, and I think uh, I think we settled all that pretty well. I think, I think so. So it's, it's a good conclusion to that. Wait, wait, is a. Uh, Taika Waititi is he? I think he's a daddy. I think he is probably. Yeah, a daddy. Oh, absolutely. I would he say had so. like those uh, pictures going around with him and the two women on this. So oh, yeah. yeah, which was Taika controversial Waititi's. for some reason. I don't. I don't know sure why. I understand that. <laughs> I think polyamorous relationships are great. Let him go. You know, yeah, who if cares? he's fucking, who cares? <laughs> I like this the energy for this podcast. Very positive. Um, <laughs> yes, we we have to be accepting. I think that's what Thor: Love and Thunder brings out in all of us. Is I think the so. inner daddy, I think so. inner dad. <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, we're um, all daddies and mommies at some point. <laughs> Sometimes um, both. To conclude the email from True. Actually, <laughs> I lied. There's two questions. Oh, good. What would, a, what would a Thor movie written by one Stephen Gillespie look like? <laughs> which is a great question. Um, are we going which, to discuss or are you saving it for next week? <laughs> no, I've, I've got my answer oh, because okay. I, I would like to hear what Stephen thinks of this. Um, yes. If he has his own thoughts, but... My vision of Steven's Thor is it opens, you get all the studio logos and everything, and then cut to Chris Hemsworth sitting on a couch recorded by a laptop, and he explains the movie to you. <laughs> <laughs> he tells you what Thor is all about. He tells you why he really likes working with Taika Waititi, or I guess with Steven Gillespie, because this is his movie, yes, um, right, but correct. why he was interested in the in the script. Um Thor goes to Italy to stop a bomb threat, maybe, or maybe save his brother. Um, so Loki, but it, in this movie, he's also played by Chris Hemsworth. Um, just Chris <laughs> Hemsworth. <laughs> um, so he has to maybe rescue his brother um, and then go through that movie. You're not really sure what happens. And then it comes back to Chris Hemsworth and he explains the movie to you. That's <laughs> that's my vision of, of uh, Steve yeah. Thor. I just pictured... Um... Bella Tars, the Turin horse, um, the Thor, okay. Thorin horse would be the name of the <laughs> Thorin horse, and it would just be a, a existential. And the horses thread. sleep near. Yeah. And it, yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, the horses sleep near, and once again, it's about the Nietzschean idea of killing gods. I think would be this Thor movie. I like that. I think those are great Stephen answers for what <laughs> what he would probably make. Um, yeah. but those are our those are our emails for this week thank you everyone for sending in emails um, as I'll say 
every time on this show. If you have anything to say, it doesn't have to be related to any particular episode. If you just have a comment or want to say hi, send anything you want to say to thinkingofspoiling at gmail.com and it will get read on the show. Or if you just want to talk to us and you don't want it to be read, then you can do that too and I'll share it with Steven. Whatever you want to do. But send us mail. <laughs> um, so then before we close out here, um, what have huh. you got to recommend that you've watched recently? Uh, could it be something I haven't watched? Sure, why not? <laughs> sure, because I just saw Irma Vet, and I think the most interesting thing in the world to me is uh, Asaya doing uh, Irma Vet on HBO. I think the whole series of that ahead of me is uh, I want to recommend it on watch because I want people to talk to about the show. And I've watched. Lonely. I need to get through the rest of it. I've watched the first two. Ep- excuse me, the first two episodes of okay. the show. Um, I think it's really good so far. Uh, we'll see oh, where cool. it ends up, but I, I think it's smart and intelligently in conversation with modern cinema, where Hermavep was kind of talking about the state of French cinema in the '90s. This is kind of more about um, the state of Hollywood cinema in the current times, and so it's interesting. Um, seems to be doing interesting things i like that asias is actually doing it and i i need to get to more i need to get through all of it the other thing i have watched that i would recommend is um duke of burgundy which i had watched for like a pride month oh, yeah. era uh just peter strictly i think has talked about enough on stevenson <laughs> that i don't need to cover but um really appealing yeah. style to me and i think it appeals to at least, like, maybe, like, separate from, like, the, the Stephen and, like, the regional, like, interests and uh, the um, gastronomy interests that he has in his movies is our, and our like, <laughs> yeah. uh, our aesthetic of, like, the 70s horror thing that I think Strickland's right. really tapped into, like, modernizing in an interesting way. Um, so I think he's making, yeah. I think he's making modern, like, horror or psychologically tormented pieces that are at least of uh, a certain modern aesthetic that I don't think anyone else is really... Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, you've got definitely there are a lot of directors out there that have been at least loosely inspired by like that Euro horror stuff. But I don't Mm -hmm. think anybody who is in conversation with it like Strickland is and is actually like Mm -hmm. utilizing those ideas and that filmmaking style rather than just it being a a looser inspiration. Right. I see a lot of imitation actually at festivals, but I don't see anyone continuing the conversation. Like I don't see right uh, exactly. I don't see new chapters being added besides Strickland. So. uh, Strickland, really great filmmaker, and uh, Duke of Burgundy is one of the best movies I watched last month. Yeah, no, it's, that's a really great movie that I keep meaning to uh, rewatch, but I haven't quite gotten to yet. But yeah, it's really like the Duke of Burgundy. It's, it was an early movie in like me kind of watching these kinds of movies and like discovering that was like a you know kind of sort of a moment of just like wow, like man, just kind of like things that can be so different, and that movie really mm-hmm. is that. Um, it does it such a great way. Barbarian sounds uh, was it Sound Studio? I think is yeah, probably yeah. the title. Is one of the most fascinating things for me as a guy who's mostly interested in like an audiovisual layer of film. Um, yeah, I don't think oh, anything yeah. besides um, Upstream Color and Under the Skin. Unfortunately, Upstream Color. <laughs> I, I think right. those are the two <laughs> other ones that have interested me the most. And like, like that's my prerogative is movies like yeah. these. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's a great recommendation. I mean, we can't recommend Strickland enough on this show, for sure. I think you recommended it to me, so it's, you know, I, I think it's a loop. It's either Steven or I, but yeah. Yeah, one <laughs> either of you way. must have, yeah. 
I think maybe I tried to recommend it and Steven had already beaten me to it. Was, was probably <laughs> I think that's true, actually. Yeah, I think that's what happened. That's why I have it mixed. I think it was Steven yeah. this time. Uh, fantastic, though. I loved it. Uh, how about yours? Um, yeah, so mostly because I spent five hours with it, but also because it's a really good movie. <laughs> um, but I watched Vim Vendors Until the End of the World. Um, oh, it's yeah. a really, really fantastic movie, and I think not nearly enough people have seen it i mean i think i don't see enough sort of conversation around vim vendors in general i think he's just such a yeah. fascinating director i mean everyone talks about paris texas which is one of the most beautiful movies ever but you know i think everything else that i've seen from him is also really fantastic and i don't know what drew me so much to this movie but hmm. i think just the idea of like it's kind of marketed as like the ultimate road movie and it's like this nineties <laughs> yeah. this this cool nineties thing where it's like nineties sci fi. It was such an interesting aesthetic to me that you know, like that sort of I don't know, like the chunky industrial sort of sci fi like that idea so much more than a lot of the more modern glossy stuff. And I think this this does that really well. And Light it's a worthwhile could never. <laughs> Exactly. Lightyear <laughs> could never. Um but it's a worthwhile five hours. I think it was, and it, it really flies by. Um, like the first, sort of the first half of it. I mean, it's even in two discs on Criterion set because yeah. it's so long. But um, great cover, by the way, on Criterion. Uh, very yeah, attractive, no, aesthetic. Really cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, the first half is like this really awesome and fascinating like road movie where they're sort of floating around like the whole world and they shoot in all these beautiful locations and it's sort of about this this woman who's sort of lost and i mean the the title comes from this uh i'm trying to remember like the exact setup but there was a nuclear satellite that was essentially falling out of orbit and sort of threatening to damage the whole earth um, is the idea and so it was like this is like what do you do when that threat is looming over you and what do you do yeah. the rest of your time um, and so she kind of finds this guy who she at least convinces herself that she's in love with and kind of follows him around the world. And then the second half, they end up in Australia in this really beautiful location. And it's kind of, then it becomes something totally different, sort of about memory and vision. And they get like addicted to viewing their own memories. And it's, oh, wow. it's really fascinating. Okay. Yeah. I've so highly a... recommend if you want to spend the time with it. Yeah, I've been trying to get myself into these longer movies. I think after this move, I might settle down a bit and try to, uh, you know, even if I have to watch them in chunks. If it, if it's on two discs, I think you get a break. Is a yeah, and I yeah. think this 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 movie in particular feels like conducive to that. I think the breaking point in the middle there is it's kind of like you don't feel like it's a huge mm -hmm. cliffhanger where you need to jump back in immediately and you could take a break. Intermission. In the middle. What was it? Is there an intermission? Oh. I mean. In the sense that you have to <laughs> change the discs out, but okay, yeah, um, sure. But I think it's like it's also like a good chapter kind of split there. Like it's like an act one and an act two from these different kind of modes of the movie. I think. Excellent. Um, I, yeah, I watched like thirty minutes of it. I wish I had. I wish I had better uh, discipline with a long movie. <laughs> it's hard. I, I I do movies like this so rarely because it really is yeah, difficult to to commit to. But I'm trying to do the same. So like. I'm, uh, <laughs> We've got the Criterion sale now, so I've been trying to kind of pick up some of the longer ones because I feel a little more. It feels better to put in a disc and watch a long movie, you know. I yeah, feel more like yeah. I'm more likely to do it. 
Um, I, uh, as a dad, I think there's just so little time. It's the same deal as TV shows. It's like, can I yeah. invest myself? I, right. mean, it, I was getting back into video games like the last few weeks. I'm like, that's also kind of a road I don't want to stay on. <laughs> I, I mean, it's hard to like pull yourself away from your family yeah. and like watch stuff if you if you're developing a family and I mean you're trying to spend that time. Movies are yeah, about the right length. About right. two hours is a good break. Yeah, that's what's so great about like and why I'd end up not watching very many shows. You know, like so many movies, it's just like I can just throw something on and it's a specific <laughs> amount of time, and then I can move into something else, and I'm not committing to anything long term by just sitting down and watching something self-contained. I I had phases where I watched a lot of TV until I realized I wasn't interested in my own thoughts after finishing them. Like right, I felt like yeah. uh, I I was interested in where the show was going toward a second season, but uh, kind of the Marvel thing besides like one like this is I don't I don't care what I think. Like I was like yeah I, I told I said publicly like on the forum I'm not going to review any of these because I don't care about what I think about yeah. them. I genuinely have very little interest in my own opinions on television. Yeah. that's what blocks me i don't want yeah, to talk I, about it and i definitely like i have a lot of respect for anyone that can like review television because sure. it's like, if i if i commit that much and, and watch that much like i feel like it's so much to then condense down and like <laughs> i don't know how i would even do that and, like you said like i'm not sure if i'm really interested in it anyway i i mean our friend nick vercar who i have worked with for many years i edited with him like 10 years ago more than that maybe and he's, oh, okay. he's writing some of our television reviews yeah. on the twin geeks and i think he's really efficient uh we had kevin lever one of our friends who i uh, wrote for us for a couple of years did like a hundred something tv reviews for us it's a I, I mean i respect the skill i just i i'm not interested in my thoughts i'm interested in theirs yeah exactly yeah it seems much more <laughs> digestible that way <laughs> i feel like it's all um, plot is one thing like I, I feel like televisions and marvel too is also just yeah. plot i don't feel like it's storylines so yeah, I, I think I just, I get so tired of, like, the structure of TV and, like, everything yes. being built episodically, and it's like they have, they get forced into, like, ending on a cliffhanger, and so you have to write in this very specific way, and it's just, like, it's not, it doesn't feel conducive to anything too interesting to me, I feel like, at, at a certain point. And it resets itself so much yeah. that I feel like, uh, I mean, if I write a season one review of a show three seasons later, that might you know like the context of that changes a whole lot yeah. uh, if i write about a movie uh, ideally that doesn't change yeah it's much at least even if that does happen it, it's much rarer mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's thor love and thunder that's our recommendations for this week um that's everything since we've got a guest here calvin what where can people find you um uh, like on letterboxd or anywhere uh letterboxd at calvin kemp twitter at calvin kemp uh, the twingeeks.com slash Calvin Kemp. <laughs> Very efficient these days. <laughs> I, I assume most of our listeners will, will be well aware of you, but. Sure. Got um, to get those plugs in anyway. Um, yeah, if not, follow Calvin Kemp somewhere. <laughs> there you go. You'll find it anywhere, whatever social media <laughs> whatever site the you platform click on. is. <laughs> right. uh, I do use my name for things. I'm not a screen name guy. I don't like. Um, I know you're the screen name guy, so I don't say <laughs> I, it's a not valuable. Oh, you can say but, that. But for me, I don't, I don't care about my thoughts about screen names. I, I don't want to write about them. No, uh, I just feel like a Calvin is efficient. If I'm going to like lead a website, people should be like Calvin. Okay, that's the person no, that, that, that does yeah, that job. That does make sense. It's it's not something. It's something I feel like I kind of fell into. Is just being stuck with my screen name and like it's been it's such a thing now for me that like 
it's part of like it's part of me in a way that like I can't really get rid of it, so it feels weird to just you know take away that from myself. I should, so should have stuck know, but... with my original like screen names, like uh, psychotic sober penguin. When I was thirteen, <laughs> was one of them. Um, and uh, surfing Calvin, nineteen eighty eight was a oh, that's my Calvin, birthday. Yeah, that. <laughs> surfing Calvin was very good for like early AOL days because we were all surfing the web. If you know oh, what I mean. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to check out the other podcasts on our on our site at the Twin Geeks. You guys are doing Robert Altman. Mm-hmm. They'll uh, come back. Should in still a should still be weeks. going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that should go up around the same time as this. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm moving house, so uh, all the podcasts I'm on are kind of in flux, and everything else is probably going. Daydreamcast will have a new episode up by the time this is up. Uh, 808 and Podbreak will have one with Kevin and I. Um, Stack should have a few things. Uh, yeah, Zach's been, been putting out a lot. We might have more uh, adventures in Asian cinema. Um, I know you guys, Frankie the Monster's coming soon as well, I believe. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I guess... Uh, hmm. Can I, well, can I say something? Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess it'll be out. Ben and I have a new podcast called The Fear Files. Uh, oh, yeah. Which will be about uh, adaptations of horror things like uh, we're going to look into books and like look at like the textual adaptation of like starting with ring ringu and we're really going to analyze and get into like the dirt of like what the books are and what that makes for a movie oh that's Um, great that's a great idea i'm excited to listen to that and it won't just be j-horror like we're going to go into you know popular american authors you could guess a few i think and uh Uh, I mean, even video games to movies, uh, just adaptations in general is going to yeah, be Yeah, like it's a good thing to, to do. I like that. I want to call it Page to Scream, which I think is too punny. Um, <laughs> I kind of love that. <laughs> I know. And it didn't exist, but the the Fright Files didn't exist either. So it's a... I, I feel like that's more direct in a way. It sounds kind of like X-Files. And stuff, yeah. But Page to Scream was really my baby. So. Oh, I like that. Did, was I mean, Ben not a fan? <laughs> I don't know. I... I ran it by my wife, and she's like, that's a pun. You don't want to just say a pun every time. She's like, uh, just remember. like." Uh, that's a good point. I, I get yeah. that, yeah. She's like, remember what you want to say every time you open a podcast. Yeah. I mean, you kind of limit yourself to one joke in that way. Wait a minute. Is that us? <laughs> is, that, is that all we're doing here? Is it just we got to... Well, the problem is that you took my suggestion for a title <laughs> when, I, when well, my first idea is always a pun, and Ben was good enough to say no to me, and I just... It, I I have, I can't name things. I'm terrible at naming things, so I I like I liked your things. idea. And <laughs> it seemed to be. I mean, I still do like it as a as our podcast name. Yeah, especially I've got no problem with puns. Really, like the hottest movie out right now. Thinking of spoil ending things. Thinking of. I I got the name of the show wrong again. Uh, I managed <laughs> to by the end of the episode, which is a. Like our 808 and pod break, our three <laughs> letters and five mics was the worst thing that I think we named. Um, <laughs> I, I never remembered that. I think I got that wrong every show that I came on to promote it. Naming, uh, naming stuff is a challenge. It's, yeah. it's a special skill that I don't have. I sit there and stare at my every one of my reviews <laughs> trying to figure out what to title it. So I don't know either. I, I, I haven't figured out the perfect science. I'm not an SEO guy because I don't really care what we get right. from clicks. I, I want us to write it for passion and yeah, for the fun for of sure. making things with friends. So I think it's uh, we've achieved both of those here. Thank you. Yeah, this was a this was a very fun show, um, and now uh, we've taken enough of your time. We'll let Guns N' Roses play. Right uh, on. So for now, <laughs> I'm thinking of ending this podcast. 